This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I was, at one time, I was way up on technology. Right. I mean... I worked in computers before anybody had, you know, I had computer classes in high school when most kids didn't have them because yeah. I on, worked on bases and stuff. I mean, I lived on bases and all over, but shit, now I'm ass backwards again. <laughs> I feel like it a fool most like of the time. every day something new's coming out. I feel like a fool. You know, the funny thing is, is you bring that up and um, also pretty much if you can hear the bounce, you're too far. Other than that, you're good. I think you should, be, you should be fine. The um, that's the funny thing is with technology, and especially in the creative business. With with what we do, I don't really ever have a problem because if we're working digitally, it's usually an Illustrator or Photoshop, and the changes that happen are pretty. You know, they make sense. Hey. They're pretty logical. Okay, I see you made a little improvement there. Um, and f- behind the T, sorry, the pen. Oh, you want the pen? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna make some autographs for you during <laughs> one every five minutes, Dave. So the, the changes that happen, um, they're not, you know, really, you know, drastic or industry changing or there isn't a whole heck of a lot of competition for Photoshop. You know, yeah. come in that they pretty much have cornered that market. Yeah, of, of what they do, but other technologies are completely different. Is this is one of the reasons why I never got into designing web pages. So when I was a young designer coming up, um, I'd painted fish for a while. You know, when I was a kid, always have my whole life. But to make a living, you know, after I went to art school, and I'll let you start trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do to earn money? Right. So I got just into like, like the commercial. Yeah, right. So, so, <laughs> what are you going to do to earn money? Yeah. So I got into you know doing design, and I became an art director. I worked in the music industry for a while. And um, there was a time where I could have easily taken that avenue and I studied it and I learned it, how to, you know, doing like HTML coding, like right off the bat, 
this was back in like the late nineties. And, you know, I started getting into it and I quickly realized this technology always changes like nonstop and it's going to keep changing, which means I'm going to have to constantly educate myself. It, that is not me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm like, yeah. I, I, I just won't do it. You know yeah. what I mean? I'll just be like, oh, you know, if I started designing web pages, I'd still be designing them in HTML. That's pretty much what I live. <laughs> so I, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to sell animation software and like what? Uh, like macromedia stuff? Anim animator, animator Pro and 3D Studio. Really? Yeah. Back in the mid 80s. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, actually, mid '90s. You know, it's crazy how software is. Late '80s, like <laughs> I quit. I quit a job where I was making good money mm -hmm. selling stuff to go to work at sport fishing. Yeah, yeah. So, were you always a writer? Um, I read a lot, mm -hmm. and so when I wrote stuff, it was usually decent, and I and I always had. When I started college, you know, I wanted to be a marine biologist. You know, I loved I loved the ocean. I loved yep. fish. So I loved fish. I wanted to be a marine biologist. And when I started at University of Central Florida, they dropped the marine biology department that year. Mm -hmm. So I just said, well, I'll just go to pre-med and do that. You had lofty goals. Well, yeah. Unrealistic. Pre-med. Huge. Usually because I didn't. I was like the first person to go to college mm -hmm. in my family. So I was never, I was never prepared to take the SAT or, right. you know, like my kids today, they go to a special class so they can go and get good grades on the SAT. And, you know, they, they have done really, really well, but uh, I never had any, it was just like, okay, you graduate from high school. Now what are you going to do? Well, mm -hmm. I think I'll go to college. And then I, you know, that's how it worked out. I wasn't really, I was never goal oriented. I, it just worked out that I liked fish, and I thought, well, I could, I could work with fish. I never thought, hey, boy, those people don't make any money. Yeah, those marine biologists. You mm -hmm. know, a lot of there's a lot of marine biologists who are waiting tables, just like yeah. actors and writers. Even that's a thing. You know, that's not an industry. That's journalism is not much better. Mm -hmm. When I graduated in '89 or whatever, I think the starting average starting salary for a journalist was 18 grand a year. Wow. And when I started, when I finally started working at uh, World Publications at that time, it was, I think I started at 18 grand working for three different magazines. I was a managing mm -hmm. editor of three magazines. Wow. And I had just quit a job. What like, magazines were those? Uh, Sport Fishing, uh, Marlin, and mm -hmm. Marine Electronics. It was actually for a short time there, I was actually doing four. There was one called The Rip Line, which was every two weeks, which was a tournament magazine that came with your subscription to Marlin magazine. So it was a little six to eight page, um, mini magazine. Mm -hmm. It was black and white on cheap paper, but every two weeks you had to do that one. So it was a lot of deadlines there for 18 grand a year. You know, I mean, I, I, when I worked in the music business, we were in, um, I was an art director for an in-house, mm -hmm. for a billion-dollar company that was in music distribution. So we had to market to the masses. Uh, we were direct in between all the major labels like Universal and Sony and Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we would market directly to all the mom-and-pop record stores out there, all the big box, and direct-to-consumer. So we had a weekly and a monthly magazine. 
So I feel your pain with the deadlines. Oh yeah. And you know, the different papers and getting things prepped and, you know, collected for output and getting it all out there and Well, especially when I and I had already met my wife about that time and we were gonna get married and uh I was working at that that CAD development place, mm-hmm. uh, selling the software and stuff. And I had just picked up the phone a couple of days before and made 25 G's on one sale, you know, Hey, home shopping network wants 10 frame makers and training for 50 people for two weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, Boy, that's a, Hey, loving that. Right. And then, and then I quit that job to go to work for 18 grand a year. <laughs> just right when I'm getting married, that's, you know, my wife was that's a That's when you got to do it, though. Well, my wife was a jewel. You mm-hmm. know, she knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work for that sport fishing magazine. That's what I wanted right. to do. And my first job there was an assistant art director. That's really? Sport fishing, yeah. You because I knew all the programs. I knew PageMaker. I knew, uh, what's the heck? The one started with a Q. Quirk. Quirk. Mm-hmm. Quirk. Yeah, that's I what we worked in. We worked in Quirk Express. Yeah, Quirk Express. And I, and I knew how to lay out pages in that. Mm-hmm. So I had an art director who still did it on the tissue. He'd do a tissue drawing out. Ruby lift and red line and Correct. blue line and all yeah, that. Man. Yeah, And then I would turn it Paste into. Up. And then, then I would turn it into a digital page. Mm-hmm. And that was my first job there. And I think, well, if I sit here long enough, one of these editors will quit. I had no idea that editors usually are like a tick. Mm-hmm. They don't come out of a magazine. You know, they don't come off unless somebody makes them go. Right. So um, I, I just sat there and thought, well, maybe one of these days. And I started writing a lot of the the, the cut lines on the cover, you know, and uh, because the ones that I were getting I didn't think were any good. <laughs> and, uh, and the boss started to take notice and said, yeah, yeah, you can start writing these a little bit. And and that's how I started inching my way into doing the covers. And uh, and by that time, the managing editor quit and went to work somewhere else. And I applied for that job and snuck in the back door. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You talk about, you know, with your wife telling you basically, you know, this is what you want to do. And it's yeah. interesting how when you're young – those little decisions can really just springboard you into a whole new avenue of life because you, you look back and you've had such a storied career and, you know, had it not been for moments like that, you know, you might be living a different life, but that was so lucky. That's what I mean. I mean, you look at everything that you've done in this industry, you know, and and, and it's at this point you could say it's, you know, it's a charmed life because you, like you just said, you've seen the world and you've pretty much done everything there is to do. And I didn't have to pay. Right. That was it. Somebody yeah. paid me to do it. And I, you know, I tell people that every time I go to a talk, I said I was just the most, I fell into the most fortunate thing. You know, about six months after we, after I started working at Sport Fishing, we bought Marlin Magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, they asked me, you know, do you want to work for Marlin too? And I said, yeah, man, that sounds great. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I said, you know, that was 15 deadlines alone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And then after about seven years of doing that, both of them together, they came to me and said, hey, I pick one. Probably because I was becoming such a pain in the butt that one of them wanted to get rid of me. And one of them said, yeah, I'll take him. And uh, so I, but my, you know, they put it out to me. Hey, you, you want to do Marlin or sport fishing? And I said, I want to do Marlin because it's only six times a year versus nine. Right. And plus I get to go Marlin fishing, so mm-hmm. I, which I was falling in love with. And uh, that's what I wanted to do. And I got to do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I could never, you know, that's, a, it, it's an expensive sport. 
Well, know, that's the thing. Marlin I mean, fishing is very expensive, and I couldn't. It's a rich you know, man's game. Oh, it is. I can't. Af- I couldn't afford a thousand dollars plus a day to go fishing for a day. Mm-hmm. I can't. You know, my wife would kill me if I if I did that. But thank goodness there's fellows out there who can and mm-hmm. pay a lot more than that. And I've been able to go to some great places with them and experience it with them and make sure they got home safe and. You know, made sure they were on the right boats and fishing with the right people. And yep. that's, that's, and seeing them catch their first one of anything, you know, is, is a big deal. Cause that, t- it makes it all brand new, you know, right. It makes it all, it doesn't matter how many times I have to sit and read a story about it, which can get old. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can well, get it's out like here too, painting the fish. Yeah. Like, I mean, I got to get out every now and then. Yeah, you know, when you get out, in the, get out in the field and watch another guy catch his first yeah. one, you know, that makes it all brand new again for you. Really yeah, does for me anyway. We always say that too. It's like every time, like ever since I opened the studio, I don't fish nearly as much as I used to. Yeah. But you know, it's like the other day, and like when I went out with uh, Paul and and the crew of the fishing for muscular dystrophy, you get a sense of renewal in your head, and it's it really is like a a reboot button yeah. for me personally because I can sit here and paint fish all day long and feel like yeah, I'm, you know, it's my love and my passion and say all that kind of stuff till you know. There's no more room to say it. But if I don't get out every now and then, then eventually I start noticing that it doesn't become a passion anymore. Yeah. It's got to be, there's got to be this symbiotic thing to it. I'm there right now. I haven't been offshore in a while. And, you know, I make up for it by going bass fishing. I do a Mm -hmm. little bass fishing and trout fishing and inshore fishing because that's something I have a little boat. I can go do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't. And I don't feel right about calling up guys. Hey, man, can I come ride with you? And I know, you know, ninety nine percent of them will say, "Yeah, yeah, come and go." I just, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I've been doing <laughs> a lot of bass fishing lately too. Yeah, because while well, the kids are now, well, February is a good month, man. It's yeah, big, it is big fish month. It Florida. is. The, the kids are starting to get you know to the age. You know, my son is six, and my daughter's nine, and now they're being pains in the butts like saturday you're home no work let's go fishing let's go fishing let's <laughs> yeah, go yeah. bass go bass fishing that's you know. good after work i'm like ride that as long as you can mine didn't mine don't like to go fishing that's all my son wants to do yeah, they don't care about it. i mean he doesn't want to play soccer or football or baseball or anything we tried that we got him in a couple leagues and he's like no dad i just want to fish yeah i probably yell okay. at him too much or something yeah. and and they are they're translucent i have very white children <laughs> i mean they are you can hold them up to the sun and see their heartbeat they are very white and redheaded, my two boys have red hair, mm-hmm. and they're white. And then my little girl, she actually has some skin tone. She's and she has blonde hair, right? And blue eyes, and just turned thirteen, and it's a huge pain in the butt. So is huge. is uh, is your last name is that Irish? Yes. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, we got St. Patrick's Day coming up, so yes, we do. This is our one year anniversary here at the studio <laughs> at, the, at the new studio. At yeah. the connected by connected by water proper old term. I, I got my middle son Spencer. You know he wants to go to Ireland for uh, for his graduation. Oh, he does. Yeah, my my little girl's named Molly Catherine Farrell. There you go. And uh, which you can't get more Irish than that. I don't yep. reckon. And uh, my son, my oldest son, is Jack Joseph Farrell. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Sean Hunter Farrell and the Siennas. I don't know. That this my wife wanted the name her Sienna. Man, I was some. Anyway, I'm not gonna say it. I was, I was, I was, I was shared too much. <laughs> You're gonna give a burnt scene. It was about, check, it, right? was a, no, it was about a, no, it was about another name that I heard just recently. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so listen, I, I, I haven't actually officially announced her or welcomed you. 
Um, so welcome to Connected by Water, presented by Joey Cardi, Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. Uh, we're here with Dave Farrell. Um, how do I introduce you? You're like a renaissance man of, of you know, editor, writer, yeah. fisherman, co-host. angler, co-host of... That's pretty much, yeah, I'm a co-host. Uh, Florida Insider Fishing Report. Yep. Texas Insider Fishing Report. Texas Insider Fishing Report. Um, I know many of you know that show. You have to know that show. I mean, everyone knows that show. Been around a long time. Yeah. Um, I can't believe it. So, you know, we've been friends for a little bit, and I'm very happy that you took the drive down to Fort Orlando to come see us and visit us, and it means a lot. I'm not that busy. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it does still. I mean, that that really does mean a lot that you came down, and we've been talking about doing this for a while. Yeah, man. Um, Glad to do it. Yeah, so I like the gab. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I mean, you know what? That's that's why we started this show. You know, it's like you know, with the lay of the land here, we're not near the water. We're more near the Everglades, right? So when most of our our constituency and customer base is out in Pompano or Fort Lauderdale or even Miami or Jupiter, all on the coast, right? And when they got to come out here to see me, which a lot of them want to do. Well, they want to get their money's worth, and they're like, oh, well, I'm coming out to see Dennis, and if we only really need to talk for like five minutes, they'll want to talk for like an hour, because like, well, the hell, I drove out here, I'm going to talk to him for a while. There's some good peacock bass fishing around here, I imagine. There is, there is. <laughs> and um, so I got this idea, I'm like, well, I'm having some great conversations with these guys, might as well put it up on the internet. Correct. You know, and uh, make a little podcast, and you know, I enjoyed it. I started listening to podcasts while I was painting, and right. started thinking, oh, I could do that. I kind of do that with the XM because I have to drive from Orlando to mm-hmm. Miami every week. And uh, that's what I, I listen to those. I don't listen to music that much mm-hmm. anymore. I still, when I start getting sleepy, I'll turn it to the new wave, uh, first wave. Mm-hmm. That's my music, that 80s English stuff. But then uh, I, I end up usually listening to talk of right. some sort, you know, HLN yeah. or some sort of. You know, comedy talk stuff. I mm-hmm. like a lot. I like a lot of comedy stuff. It's funny how you know you, you as you get older, you kind of just go in that direction of like you know what you like, you know what you want, and yeah, yeah. you just want to hear that all. And the now time. you can. Yeah, and now you can. <laughs> yeah. The um, you used to not be able to listen to what you wanted. You had to listen to what somebody else wanted you to listen to. What kind of new wave bands are you listening to? Oh, man, everything from the cure to the revolting cocks, man. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> from, yeah. from the hard dance to the poppy stuff, you know. I remember growing up in Florida, we used to you know, go surfing a lot mm-hmm. and just drive up for us. I don't know, we're, we're, are you from Orlando? Yeah. So being from down here, a lot of times, more often than not, we had to drive up coast to Sebastian and, right. you know, satellite and you know, places up near you. I actually, I actually lived in Satellite Beach for a little while. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I said, my, I don't know if I said it earlier, my dad was in the service, so I hopped all over the world. I was in like 10 schools and So you 12, guys lived out at Patrick's? Years. Yeah, I lived at Patrick Air Force yeah. Base, uh, three blocks from the beach. We had one of those little houses. Mm-hmm. And that's where I first surfed, and uh, I wasn't good at it. I didn't do good at it. I had a friend get r- really hurt, mm-hmm. and I was done. Yeah. I was done with the surfing part. I'd rather be in a boat on the top. And because uh, I'm not, you know, I was real skinny. I wasn't a very strong swimmer either. Right. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. So uh, it, never, it never caught with me. I did pretty good for a while. I mean, I worked, ended up working at BC Surfing Sport for a little bit. So I had a pretty good stretch of surfing. But I hung out know, as I get older, guys. it would really just kind of. And I'd go to the beach with him in the morning because we could actually go to the beach before school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you didn't have to wear shoes at Satellite Beach High School when I was right. a kid. They didn't have AC. Yeah. There was no air conditioning in that school. 
on is the that, beach. That's not. No, I'm thinking of Coco, where Kelly Slater went. Coco. Yeah, probably. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, he grew up right there. The um, what I was going to ask you, we used to listen to a lot of those alternative bands driving up coast. So there was like, I don't know if you remember, like a Hootie Gurus. Oh yeah. If you ever heard in the Public Image Limited and PIL, yeah, yeah the PIL and this is not a love song. The the Untouchables <laughs> and like all those old bands. I used to hang out at a bar there called Spit. Every Monday and Wednesday night. And I don't think I missed a night for five years. Really? Yeah, that's where I did my work. Okay. Yeah. There was a there was a place down here called Confetti that I was telling the girls here. Um, I got Jenny and Jenny here. Like, one's Columbia and one's from Rochester, New York, so they didn't grow up here. Right. And um, I was like, oh, there used to be this radio um, advertisement on, are you ready to confetti? Like, all the time, so... <laughs> They brought up the word confetti, and I said that to them. They looked at me like I had, like, nine heads. Yeah. There was a lot of uh, – Orlando was very progressive as far as <clears throat> one of the first cities that had a lot of new wave clubs, mm-hmm. which was really cool. You know, we had that spit place. We had a place called Faith and Physics. We had a place called The Hague out at uh, out at the Disney area mm-hmm. and then uh, Visage later on. So it was a, it was a big – and I had a little – I had a little red Triumph Spitfire with an English flag. I still have the car. Actually, I still have the car in my driveway. It doesn't run because it's a Spitfire. But uh, it had a big English flag across the windshield, and you know, I was, was that your car from high school? Uh, yeah, right after you still high have school. You, really? Yeah, right after high school. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's I hung out with my dad for a little while, and then I got it back. But uh, it's usually what would happen. I'd run a car into the ground and then give mm-hmm. it to my dad, and he'd fix it back up and give it back to me later when I needed a car. So yeah. luckily, when I gave him that one, or, or he'd sell it, you know, and that one I said, don't, if you're going to sell that one, don't sell it. You know, It's yeah. hard to keep my dad from selling stuff. He likes to make a dollar. Right. When he gets something in his clutches and somebody wants to give him money for it, it's hard for him to say no. <laughs> I have a tendency to be a pack rat. Me too, kind of. Yeah. Most of my wife's. Dismay. Yeah, my wife's as well. So you know, she's always yelling at me, like, why are you keeping that? You know, and I'm like, well, I might want to ride that bike one day. <laughs> I'm going on a diet soon. Yeah, it's bad with T-shirts and hats and stuff, although I've been getting a little better giving stuff away. Oh, my God, the A lot hats. of Marlin stuff that I didn't want to give away. Yeah. And slowly getting rid of it, thinking, well, it's just sitting in a drawer. Let somebody enjoy it. Yeah, I'm not doing nothing. No, I got hats piling up all over the place in that oh, house. Are you kidding me? Hats are ridiculous. Hats and shirts. I ha- I have like a whole separate dresser for shirts I never wear. Me too. I I do too. And I gave away half that dresser the other day in like two two big black garbage bags full. You know, I give them to. I have these guys who are working on a house next door, mm-hmm. or I give them to the <laughs> I give them to the Goodwill that I'll be driving downtown Orlando and I'll see some guy with a you know sport fishing shirt on or, Mm -hmm. you know, big yacht, you know, Southern pride or whatever. I didn't, I didn't give away my Southern pride shirt, (laughs) but you know what I mean? How did you get in the TV? Well, when I was working at, uh, the sport fishing in Marlin, the producer, the guy who was producing sport fishing TV, Ken Cavanaugh, he was a producer Mm -hmm. and, uh, he somehow got with Murphy about doing this studio show and uh, Ken recommended me. He said, you know, he's good on camera. He's funny. He'll do whatever mm-hmm. you ask him to do. And he's knowledgeable. So he's not afraid to be on TV. And I was too stupid at the time to realize what they were talking about. But they called me in to do a, a, this big meeting in a 
big office downtown in Orlando and at a table with a bunch of Fox people because that's when Fox owned it. Sounds a little intimidating. It was a little spooky because, you know, I wasn't expecting it. And I walk yeah. in there and there's Murphy and Mrs. Murphy and a bunch of other people. And I just started talking. Made them laugh a few times. And then we were done. <laughs> that was it. That was like 15 years ago. Now I've got little guy, you know, twenty guy, twenty year old guys. You know, oh, I, you know, I grew up watching you. And I'm going, really? I feel like a Mr. Green Jeans now. <laughs> I tell you, one of my favorite things about you is just how you break things down so simplistically. It's well, heartwarming, really. Yeah, yeah. It's communicating. Right. Yeah, I can't even say the word right. <laughs> it's communicating, man. It's all it is. It's telling a story. Oh man. That's, you know, my dad's from Tennessee, so, and he had a lot of brothers and sisters. Yeah. And there's a lot of stories flowing, and, we, you know, sitting around in Tennessee, and my dad's a pretty good storyteller, too, so I get a lot of that. They're all funny fellows, those guys up there. They always have a, a saying or something for every situation. Yeah, so my dad's the same How way. How much did that cost? Oh, it was higher than a cat's back, you know, that kind right. of thing. Yeah. It's just one after another. What are you doing today, Dad? Well, I'm busier than a buzzard on a gut wagon, you know, that kind of stuff mm -hmm. over over and over again. So, you know. And, busier and than a buzzard on a gut wagon? The, yeah, yeah. I don't know how. I've never pretty heard busy that guy. Before. But anyway, I was, I was kind of trained in the newspaper business kind of, you know, in journalism school. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, try to make things simple. You know, simple is always easier. Right. You know, try to make it active but simple. Yeah. And nothing really irritates me more than a passive sentence. And that, and that has, a you know, Doug Olander at Sport Fishing Magazine had a lot to do with that because he he taught me to to make things active. If you can get rid of all the is's, as's, are's, was, mm -hmm. and were's out of your sentences, just keep them to a minimum, your writing has improved, you know, drastically. You know, I find writing, because I do a lot of my own writing here. Mm -hmm. In fact, 95% of it. Yeah. Um. So over the years of, you know, just being a businessman, creating a brand, and I've gotten a lot of practice because I think writing is definitely something I think that you can improve on and hone in and practice. Like kind of like you're mm -hmm. saying, you start noticing different patterns in your own writing right. to where like, I keep doing that too much or I keep doing that over and over. And to me, it seems like repetitiveness right. is like probably your worst enemy when it comes to writing. Yeah. You know, coming up with new stuff, especially yeah. about... The same subject. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the same, exactly. And over same again. subject. You have a tendency. It was the hardest, like hardest thing about working at Marlin Magazine was trying to come up with new stories and new ideas and new, you know, it was just hard after a while. Yeah. Really hard. I can see that, though. I mean, because you have a tendency to stay, say the same phrases and, you know. And but what you have to realize, too, though, is there's a lot of new people seeing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. Just because you remember it doesn't mean that everybody else does. And not only that, there's a high turnover in that. Well, not a high turnover, but there's a good amount of turnover. But they're still, they're still new guys. It's, it's all fresh to them anyway, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what you have to realize. I can run another Ballyhoo rigging, sto you know, story. Because right. There's a ton of new guys now who didn't see the the last 10 that I did, you know. So, yeah, no, that's true. And it got a little easier at the end. Uh, towards the end, because I realized, hey, you know, there's still a new crop out there who hasn't seen all that stuff. So Yeah. We talked a little bit earlier uh, before we came in the room about um, 
Sport Fishing Magazine. Yeah. And its recent announcement of its fate. Yeah. Um, it, I, <clears throat> you look at the print world, right? And I see it still as very necessary. Yeah. Because um, I always like the whole tangible aspect of it. Is as much as we have the fresh news of the hour on, you know, Facebook posts and different things like that, which I see a lot of value into that, obviously. Right. Um, it's not a billion, billion dollar a year industry because no one's looking at it. Um, I just hope that that's not something that's going to follow suit for other publications. I mean, what's your thought on that? Well, I think there's always going to be room for a few mm-hmm. and a, and a tighter you're in, your market, the tighter your niche, the better you're going to be off you're going to be. Mm-hmm. That's why there's always going to be a, it's Marlin's going to be around for a while, I think. Because I think so too. Because uh and I always told him that, you know, I said this thing is going to it's you know, it's not impervious to the internet, but it's going to last through it because people like to have this in their boat and you can read this on a long boat drive or, you know, coming in and out to fishing every day. Mm-hmm. It looks good to have on your boat. It's more of owning that magazine versus I'm just reading it. Right. You're a member of a club, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and it and it's so tight to you, what you like to do and so focused on what those guys enjoy doing that uh, – I'm going to tell them a secret. They could probably charge 50 bucks a year for it mm-hmm. or a hundred bucks a year. Those guys spill more than a hundred dollars a year right. in booze. Uh, and they'd still, they'd, they'd make a lot more money. So. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you. And you can tell all the av- advertisers to, to go away and, and just live off my hundred bucks subscription from these people. If you make a nice magazine for them. Well, that's, that's like the European to, model right? kind of. Yes, yeah. the European model. That's what it comes down to, right? The, the advertising, and, and where where these people are seeing their value because of with the per click things and the way that you your ROI is easier to track online and yeah. it's tougher to track <laughs> in the print world. I guess you know I, I can see that, right? You know, but to me, like that printed word is so valuable and so important historically speaking. Because yeah, yeah. you can change the internet whenever, <laughs> yeah. whenever you want. Yeah, that one's done. It? It's, it goes, yeah, that's but, why I don't like to read them after I would do them. You know, once it's done, it's done, man. Don't yeah, go read it. Right. That's the worst thing you can do is read that thing <laughs> after you let it go. You're going to find 20,000 things that you wanted to change that you didn't change or a mistake here or there, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, that, was my, that was my nightmare. Was, yeah. You know, a misspelled word. You know, we actually had one on the cover once. When, you know, it was, it was on the cover? Humiliating. Yeah. Luckily, I had Dave Ritchie was my boss at the time. I wasn't the big boss, so we both were responsible. If it was just been me, I'd have been, I think Dave wrote it, actually, so and I agreed with it. I agreed with the misspelling. So, yeah, I had one on the cover once. Yeah, it's funny you talk about um, the, the marlin fishing being a rich man's sport and, and yeah. all that. And I was thinking last night, I'm like, what am I going to talk to Dave about? Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say maybe I tell him a joke that I'd love to take have him take me to Marlin University, but I can only really afford for him to be my Marlin tutor. He can't afford the full university. Exactly, I'd do that. Yeah, that's it's still going on. It's still going on. The Marlin yeah. U.S. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I did that for a long time too. A long time you did yeah, that. I don't right? think every I was very lucky. I went through a short period where I was hopping jobs. You know, I hopped through quite a few jobs to land it. At the world publications, 
Mm -hmm. I was selling software and I worked at a banking software company and I was working in the basement printing banking software manuals on a big Xerox machine yeah. using code to, to code in the type, the font, the margins, you know, just Xerox code, mm -hmm. computer crap. And then uh, from there I went to uh, – actually I started in a church. I was I was I started at church. Started what in the church? My first my first real job out of college, I worked at a church, a big church downtown Orlando called First Presbyterian Church. I was the communication specialist. Okay. And it's a big church. So we did a ten page, you know, an eight to ten page, sometimes twelve page uh, little I forget what they called it. It was a little manual that you have every Sunday mm -hmm. morning service. Right. And ours was huge. What do they call that thing? <clears throat> I don't know. I forget what it's what? called. Can't remember. <laughs> I know you're talking. I gotta go back to church. I guess. <laughs> but anyway, I had to do that dang thing, and uh, every week, and it was it was, and I had to. I was designing the page on the same thing I was working with at UCF, which was mm -hmm. a little Macintosh SE thirty or an e, just maybe an SE oh at that time, a little yeah. nine inch screen, you know. And that's what was laying out this tabloid size deal for the church every i didn't stay at the church very long <laughs> i was hanging out with the dudes who were sweeping the floors yeah. and stuff and they they really didn't like it they, they, there was a lot of politics there you know i grew up you know in the church and then i went to work for that church and it soured me on churches for a little while yeah they, there was a lot of politics. sometimes they say don't you it's kind of like meeting don't, like, uh, you don't want to work in a church because you, you find you know i wasn't allowed to edit there's certain people who Big donors to the church, they would write things in the paper, and they I wasn't allowed to edit it at all. I mean, change misspelled words or nothing because they'd go, and I, I that would that would make me go crazy. Yeah, right. Probably make I'd your skin mad. crawl. I get so mad. And yeah, but I didn't last there long. Yeah, they say don't ever. I guess about meeting your heroes or famous people, like you're better off keeping them in arms like than just keeping them that way. Yeah, because you know, you actually really meet them and find out who they really are. I, I, I take that all the way down to neighbors. Yeah. The high fences make great neighbors. <laughs> I like, that's how I like to say, hey, man, I just wave, you know, hey. Yeah. And now if a hurricane comes and we got a tree in our house, I'll come over there and help you cut that sucker out. But I don't want to see you every day. I don't want you coming yeah. over there and borrowing something. Or I borrow something and I break it, and then you hate my guts. Mm -hmm. And now I got a guy living next to me who hates my guts. I'd much right. rather have a guy who doesn't care if I live there or not. That's yeah. way better than a guy who hates your guts. And before long, everybody's going to hate my guts. I want to do something to piss them off. <laughs> you know, that's true, though, because you always want to make friends with, like, the neighbor that's, like, around the corner, not yeah. the one that's right next to you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You don't walk to his house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, have the barbecue over there. I just hate to have that guy just loathing me next door. There's no telling what he's going to do. He gets liquored up. <laughs> And I, you know, tell me, tell me some stories, Dave. And I've got, and I've got Did something happen. I've got guns in my house just to let you people know out there who hate me. But I'm that guy who's sleeping naked, and my guns are locked right, up. See the truth's coming out. You know, if somebody knocks on my door and my right. dog starts barking, I'm going to yell at the dog. I'm not right. going to go investigate who's, you know, what's going on outside. I'll, I'll be shot naked walking down my hall. <laughs> That's, that's the gist of it, with a big bunch of guns in my cabinet, just like most of the people. Yeah. Just like, you know, 90% of those, you know, guys who say, oh, I got to have these guns in my house to protect my house. Yeah, right. You'll get shot naked just like me. 
If somebody's there to kill you, that's what they're going to do. <laughs> I got some I think weird about visuals going all on the right time. now, man. I'm, yeah. I don't. But <laughs> so if everyone knows Dave Farrell, he sleeps naked. Yeah, but I have guns. That's what I got out of it. But he has guns. <laughs> <laughs> you got to worry about oh, the dog. Oh, Lord. You got to worry about the dog. With your spitfire in the driveway. Yeah, exactly. Still there under a tarp. <laughs> So doing a lot of bass fishing. Yeah, me and my dog. Yeah, when's the last time you really traveled on a trip? I went to Columbia uh, last March. Oh, last March. All right, cool. Yeah. How was that? It was awesome. Really? Columbia. It's, it's, a, it's had a bad rap for a long time. but it's Well, that's what Jenny here says all oh, the time. She's beautiful. like, it's not like you see on Narcos. No, it's beautiful. Which I just finished last night, by the it's way, it. Narcos Mexico <laughs> season two. Okay. Yeah. I know, Medellin is... Beautiful. Yeah. It's one of the prettiest cities I've ever been to in, in Central and South America. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's really pretty. And she's from Cali, yeah. which is another one of those towns with Great the history. Great food, very nice people. I went walking around at midnight in the city. Mm -hmm. I would never do that in Guatemala. I wouldn't do that in certain places in Costa Rica, mm -hmm. although Costa Rica is way safer than most places I go. There are right. definitely places in Mexico I don't like to be around by myself. And we can't go to Venezuela anymore. Mexico, I'm probably most scared of at the moment. It scares me very. Yeah, know, I got scared. Of, most places outside of Cabo. You know, Cabo's, you know, pretty stable, yeah, good place to go. It's very Fort Lauderdaleized. Yeah, yeah. Cabo, you want to go fish tournaments and stuff in Cabo, that's a great place to go. I, I don't feel unsafe too much in Cabo. Yeah. But uh, once you get outside of there, you know, some of those, I wouldn't go driving around Mexico like I would Costa Rica. I've yeah. done that. I've gotten in a car, me and my wife, and just head off in Costa Rica with no place to go. Costa Rica, I, I wouldn't nice. do that in Mexico. Yeah, no, no definitely not. I'm ta we're talking about bringing the kids down to Costa Rica. Yeah, you should. You know, we're, we got a few places to, you know, we tons of places to stay down yeah, there. You know what I mean? It's all, we've got a million people always like, when are you coming down? When are you coming down? Yeah. Well, make sure you go see that volcano, the Arenal volcano. It's in the interior there. It's got a big lake you can bass fish in. You know, it's got all kinds of... Weird sickness really? you can catch. Yeah. The um I almost bought property there once. Maybe my wife were thinking about it. And if I go to Costa Rica and I don't bring my son to see that volcano, yeah. I'll never hear the end of it. Because yeah. that's really the big oh, he, would he wants it. to see that more than fish. Yeah. You, you can know? get you can get fairly close to it, probably about you're probably about two miles away. Mm -hmm. And you can stand at the bottom of that thing and look up and see those boulders coming out of that thing. I mean, as big as a bus. Really? And they're coming out of that just getting belched out of that thing, and they come rolling down that, and crack, 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 and you can watch through a pair of binoculars. It's amazing. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to, we even we were just talking about that this past weekend yeah. about, you know, where do we want to go? And the kids are like, we want to see the Eiffel Tower. I'm like, we're not going to Paris. Yeah. Sorry. You it's know, fun. Or at least not I've now. Well, I'm not. I wouldn't bring them there now. <laughs> yeah. Six and nine years old, bring them no, to France. Yeah. I'm not bringing no, them. I'm like, no. I'm, it's like, like my daughter wants to go when she turns 16. That I can do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But. I love Paris. You know, I like, I've been to Paris several times. But again, I grew up. You know, a lot of my time it was in Germany. I spent like five years in Germany. Mm -hmm. the time I was seven to twelve, and I've, and I was about to. Tell oh, that's you. right. You, yeah. You, my dad was in the service. About that. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time over there and got to go to some good schools. And <clears throat> So you went to school in Germany? Yeah. You yeah they were all American schools. I, sp I spoke fairly decent German when I left there, mm -hmm. actually. And I can't speak hardly any German now. 
but I could I could speak a little, you know, I'm bitching, you know. I had a good accent because when I used to go back and I'd order tickets and stuff or order on a menu, I'd get fired right back. And then I'd say, no, I'm, you know, I was fooling. <laughs> I'm not really a German. Yeah. And they go, well, your accent's perfect. And I go, well, I, I picked up a good accent because I started in the third grade. Right. And it was third grade to the all the way through the sixth grade, you know, actually the second grade. Yeah, second grade through the sixth grade. Yeah. So we left there. But I, my parents were very good. I've never been to Europe. Oh, my parents are very good about, you know, he, my dad would save up his whole vacation. They get a month of the year. Mm-hmm. And we'd get in a Volkswagen bus and for $2 a day, from the rent it from the Air Force, and we'd take off for a month. We'd go to Switzerland for two weeks and do the vacation Bible school. Mm-hmm. And then phew, take off, go to France, go to Spain, go to Italy. Sounds lovely, Dave. It was awesome. It was awesome. I, I'm went, I went to every museum. It really, really does sound great. I've seen every, you know, every Dutch you've the, master You've been to the painting. Prado? Huh? You've been to the Prado? I've been, yeah. I've you've been seen there. Guernica? I don't know what a Guernica is. <laughs> That's this p- big Picasso painting, the big black and white long one. They've got a whole room for it there. Anyway. In the it's Netherlands? One of, it's one, no, in, in Spain. The Prado in Spain. You know, I don't really, I don't really, don't, I don't really remember. Madrid. I don't really remember many museums in mm-hmm. Spain. Most of the art museums that I remember that really struck me were were the ones in uh, in the Netherlands. Really? Yeah. Or like the Van Gogh stuff and the Rembrandts. Yeah, yeah, the Dutch masters. The Dutch masters. The Dutch masters are phenomenal. You could be standing there looking at some painting, and then Mm -hmm. there's something you know it's it's like coming off the wall over outside your peripheral vision that'll Mm -hmm. just bring you to it, and you go, "What is that?" And, And it's like glowing. Yep. You know, with no light on it. Just regular light, but it looks like it's glowing from within. And you walk up to it, and you go, oh, it's a Rembrandt. No wonder this guy's Master of light. It's light. That was his thing, was just his his ability to control and portray light was just— So I got to go, you know, went to every single church, every big church, every little church, you know, all the the Rococos and the, you know, that Germany had. You know, Germans went—they loved their churches and just went and blew blew them up Mm -hmm. almost as as much as— the Italians sometimes more, you know, and uh, it, you know, you just got, got to see a lot of art. And yeah, I loved art and the humanities and all that stuff, and that was one of my. That's why I became, you know, I, was, I got to be the assistant art director at, at Sport Fishing because I knew what looked good and I knew what looked bad. Mm-hmm. There's are some some things you can't teach people. That, that's very you know, true. There's some things you can't teach. That, people. that is very true. And people always ask me like, oh want to send my kid to art school and what would you suggest? And I go, well, you make, make sure that they have a base and a foundation of this, because if you don't have that, there's nothing to work with. Right. I mean, art can be taught, yeah. but you at the very least need that foundation. I'm a horrible artist. I'm horrible at it. I wish I could draw. It was one of those things that I always wanted to do. I took a lot of art in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember doing little pen and ink. I did a, in the seventh grade, I did a Death Star out of pen and ink that was huge, you know. <laughs> I tried to make it so perfect, mm-hmm. and I just sucked. I just really <laughs> sucked. And, it, you know, it, it was a big it was a big disappointment that I couldn't do it. And I have friends of mine that I would teach. You know, I was pretty good at the anime, at um, Illustrator when it first came mm-hmm. out. I practiced a lot with it, and I could do all the little bull crap and make layers and whatnot. But I'm still not an artist. But I was mm-hmm. teaching artists how to use it mm-hmm. and to watch those guys once they've figured it out make things it was just like oh, it was very humbling <laughs> it was like dang i wish i could do that yeah it's, i wish i could do it you, you, it's one of those things like singing 
you know, it's just like singing. Yeah. If any, if you know whether you, either you can carry that tune or you can make your voice, your throat sound like that, or you can't. Yeah. You know, that's I can't you can sing. See it, you can see it. You know, I've got three kids, and you can you go to all those little art fairs and whatnot, mm-hmm. and you can see the one. Okay, this kid knows art. He could right. he could be he could do art. You, mm-hmm. know, you could see it immediately when they're eight, ten years old, even. Yep, and younger. Yeah, my my kids are like that. Yeah. Where they're already showing like the promise because I'm able to compare a lot of the artwork that my mother still has mm-hmm. of when I was their age. And it's right on par. It's kind of how I'm like, all right, it's unfortunately know. mine are too. Yeah. Mine are right on par with my art. <laughs> <laughs> but I just judged. I was just a judge at the um, the Hard Rock Winterfest had a student art competition mm-hmm. and I was a judge for that. And it was from third to fifth grade. And um there were over 2,000 drawings that we had to pick through. Right. And there was a way we had to systematically go through it by class or by school. And But the overall winner, um, congratulations, Stella Rose. She's a third grader nice. out of the fifth grader. And it was just a phenomenal piece. And I look at it, and I'm like, this kid's got a future in art. Yeah. Like, you could already tell. Like, no doubt about it. I mean, just even just, like, Aesthetically, the way it was drawn, and but also cerebrally, like the whole point of it was to make a fantasy boat for the for the boat parade. Like just think out of the box, whatever. Like make you know something fantastical about your boat that is not set in reality. And she drew this paddle boat, this paddle wheel boat, where of hamsters, <laughs> and there was a hamster in the paddle wheel. Nice. Pushing this thing along, and there's a little hamster, and there's all these little hamsters dancing, and they had, like, this whole party, and it just really warmed everybody's heart. It was just the most amazing thing. But, again, foundation is there. Yeah. You know, and either you have it or you don't. I mean, it's, it's I, really tough. One of the cool things about working at Marlin was the, you know, the art contest that we had. Mm-hmm. You know, and back then, uh, we didn't even, I didn't even let, I didn't let the public vote on, right. the, on, the, on the art because, you know, sometimes some really weird stuff would win, you know. And I right. was like, you know, I appreciate that the guy spent the time to send this in. But, you know, compared to some of this other stuff, it's not there. You know, it's, mm-hmm. not, it's just not there. And and we'd have – I'd let all the art directors in them. I figured that was way more, you know, mm-hmm. it's fair even, you know, because – you can load, you can have Pete call, popular guy can call all his buddies and say, hey, vote for this or vote right. for that. And, you know, I'd, I'd rather have people who know a little bit about it. Yeah. You know, pick stuff. And that's how I did it when I was there. And I, you know, I considered myself one of those guys. So I always had a vote, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and so did my managing editor, Charlie. But uh, we, we let all the art directors in the, in the place. You know, there was, you know, five or six guys mm-hmm. and gals who got to pick. Yeah, no, we've we've been featured in that yeah. a few times. Yeah. Um, I don't really submit to it anymore, but yeah, um, yeah no, it's you know always a really very cool issue. I actually don't think they had one this past year. I don't know. They were there was talk of getting rid of it. A yeah, couple of times. I, I think they actually I was, they, they skipped it. This I liked year. it. So yeah, no, it was one I of the cooler issues. Yeah. I always thought it was one of the cooler issues that they that they did. Obviously, from my perspective, yeah. it was. But you know, I tried to get one or two sculptures in there every time, and mm-hmm. try to get a good mix of, you know, you know, realism and a little surrealism too. You know. Yeah. No, I I, I, I like that it was it, it was kind bit. of spread out. Yeah. Yeah. So what were you it doing down in Columbia? Well, I went down there to you know I had a friend of mine that I had met 
in uh, Australia. His name is Jack Graham. He was a mate on one of the boats I was over there fishing on once. And uh, Jack started working at a place down there called Black Sands Lodge. And he says, hey, man, there's a lot of fish down here, and we're trying to spread news about the place. Can you come down here and write an article? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I can write an article, but I can't you know, promise you that anything, anybody's going to publish what I write. You know, I don't have that power anymore. Let me call a couple people and uh, see if they'll write, you know, if they'll publish something that I write on Columbia. So I called a couple people, and they said, yeah, yeah, we'd love to have an article on Columbia. So I called the guy back and said, hey, man. You know, when, when do you want me to come? And they gave me 10 days and all the gas we wanted mm-hmm. to just go and try to find a good bite, you know, try to do a little exploration and do a good piece about the place. How'd it go? It went great. <laughs> it went what great. kind of fish are you catching down there? Well, you know, there's tunas everywhere there. I mean, mm-hmm. you can catch yellowfin tunas, you know. Tired of catching tunas, you know, throw plugs at them. You can troll and catch them. But right. Pop can, them on the forehead with the plug. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's millions of them out there. Um, we ended up catching a bunch of sailfish. There's a bunch. that I know there's black marlin there because there's black marlin 30 miles up the road at, Pan, at Tropic Star. Right. And uh, they have a big reef that actually comes out of the water another 80 to 100 feet. It's like a Zane Gray at the mouth of this bay. That comes out of the water. Another, you know, how's it? Like it comes almost to the top. It goes. It's a mountain. It's a, oh, wow. it's a rock mountain, not a huge mountain, but it, you know, it's a big pinnacle sitting out there. Like in Costa Rica, like yeah, those little pinnacles. Those, yeah. yeah, except you know, this has got a couple, you know, nice rocky, you know, archipelago all the way out to that big main rock, and it's four thousand feet deep on one side and about four hundred feet deep on the other. So it's. You know, there's all kinds of stuff all yeah. around it, giant schools of jacks and uh, tunas and, you know, every kind of sardine at certain times of year. And I know there's black marl in there. And so they've caught a, a few. lodge? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really small place and, you know, holds like 12 dudes maybe tops. Mm-hmm. They only got one boat there, so you wouldn't even, you know, you wouldn't want to bring more than the four guys that a boat will hold. Right. It's a contender. He's got a brand new contender down there, a 35, with, and it's. Yami's on it, and it, uh, it's great. We we so it's kind of like going on a book and a charter with a place to stay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And we, you know, it's you're close to the fishing, and with that boat, you can go sixty miles either mm-hmm. way, real quick, real quick. And uh, you know, we fished all the way up. We were actually fishing in Panama one day. We weren't supposed to be. We didn't realize where we were at. And I pop out. We went behind this big. You know, like inside this lagoon area, and we popped out the other side, and there's these tropic star boats out there, and we said, "Oh, we might be in Panama, boys." And you know, <laughs> we were, we were in Panama. We we're about 20 miles up into Panama. So anyway, we're out there trolling around. Nobody's catching anything, but we're seeing all these sailfish that are just cruising to the south. They've all got one mission. You know, they're all going to the south. I've never seen. You know, I've seen big schools of sailfish milling around before, but I've never seen them all going in one direction. And these were all, the water was cold. You know, the water was like 71 degrees. Down there? Yeah, it was unseasonably cold. And the fish were all up on the surface, and they were all heading south. And uh, we couldn't get them to bite, you know, just free trolling. Right. Uh, So we went and got some live bait, and I got them to eat some live bait the first day. We started doing that. 
And then uh, we caught a couple on the live baits. And then we started doing some other stuff the next couple of days. And I said, well, let's go back and catch those, see if we can catch those sailfish on dead ballyhoos like mm-hmm. we're supposed to. And uh, by this time, there was just tons of them coming through. They were pouring through. And uh, we ended up figuring out that if we pulled those ballyhoos right across their nose, we could get them to eat. I mean, you had to be pretty close, like 10, 15 feet in front of them. And you'd see, you know, big pods of 10, 15, 20 on the surface, sometimes five or seven, you know, all moving in in one way. And we just pull those baits right and get them right in front of them. And uh, they'd start chewing. Why do you think they were so picky? That water's cold. Just because of the cold water? Cold water's, you know, and, and I, that's the only thing I could think. You know, yeah. They're lethargic a little. Right. But, you know, I don't, I'm not a fish doctor. I don't know what makes. Yeah, I don't know. He, 71 degrees might be perfect for him. Hell, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just curious because yeah. that, that, that seemed kind of, yeah. kind of weird, you know, because usually if you see, you see, you see a bunch of sailfish like that, you can get them to bite no problem. Right. Right. Yeah. And it took us, a, it took us, you know, a little while to where we could get, you got to put them right on their nose. Yeah. And they got to be a little further back from the boat, you know, so we were having to let things out a little bit because they would just sink, you know, mm-hmm. they wouldn't eat. But once we got those things coming across their nose when they were still up on top, they ate. And we caught 21 that last day. Nice. 21 for, we missed a few in the beginning. The guys were learning. Yeah. So yeah. we missed a few. I think we missed the first six. Something I said. Oh, really? All right, guys, they're eating. We got to <laughs> catch them now. <laughs> you got to convert here. <laughs> we missed. We missed a couple, a few in the row there in the beginning, and then then they caught on. Yeah, because we were they were nervous. That's cool. That's all it was. Yeah, I'd love to get down to that tropic star. I've still have yet to be oh, there. That's, that's a beautiful place. Yeah, that's everybody should go there. Even if, don't expect to catch a fish. You know, expect to catch a fish, but right. but go there saying go there I'm go not going to catch one. Right. Because it won't matter to you. Mm-hmm. It's that cool of a place. I was, talking to, awesome. um, I was talking to Adrian about that. Yeah. The Adrian and I were talking about maybe wanting to go down there together. He's been there. Oh, yeah. So that's why sure. he was like, he's like, you got to come with me next time we go. Yeah. Get that yeah. palace up at the top. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Spend the extra bread. <laughs> I, just heard, I just see monkeys. Yeah, you see monkeys. And actually, when I was there, supposedly they had some jaguar knocking a coconut around on the beach a couple of days before I got there. Really? Yeah, yeah, I I love that place. I, mean, I got to, I've been there. I don't know, maybe five or six times. I guess mm-hmm. we did several Marlin use there, and I went down there a couple of times with Raleigh working back in the day. So it was always fun. That's too shabby. Oh no, yeah, he's a great yeah. fella. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> we he scared the crap out of me one time. We were leaving there, and we chartered a flight, and uh, the plane that I got in to come. From from Tropic Star to the Panama City, Panama was very sketch, and and you know Raleigh used to carry a lot of rods and reels. You know he was a world record fisherman. I think we I saw him fight one on sixteen pound, like five or six hundred pounder for a black. Yeah, for like ten hours one day, and uh, we were coming back. <laughs> we were coming back from that trip, and he carries all his own rods and reels, all spooled up with his you know IGFA line, and uh, we loaded down this little plane. And uh, I hop into the front, and Raleigh's sitting in the back all stooped over. He was a big, huge dude, and uh, he got the whole back to himself that way, except for the rod cases coming through the middle. And uh, the all the instrumentation was hanging out of the dash, 
of the same plane, <laughs> and we're navigating with this guy's phone. An old phone. This was a long time ago, too. It was, when was this? Some, it was a long—I I couldn't tell you exactly what year it was, but it was— it was it was I don't know if I would have gotten on that plane, Dave. Uh, I had no, I, dude, I've, <laughs> I'm got, ser- I'm I've got so many. I've got really five or six really good airplane scares. It's like you hear yeah. stories about Patsy Cline and Buddy Holly. Oh, yeah. And yeah. oh and we fly you, dude, in, in Panama. In the, Kobe you know, Bryant. In the, it was in the... It was like in the summertime too. It was August. We were there, you know, because he, he liked to bring me in there in the off season. So we were coming in there, and we were flying through thunderstorms and stuff in this plane. And I'm going, oh, this is this is terrible. And one time in Panama, I refused to get on the plane. Right. I actually got on the plane. We were doing a Marlin U at the Perlis Islands. So I flew everybody into Panama City, and then we're going to go get on these two planes to go out to the island. Load all the people up in the nice otter, all the clients, mm-hmm. and then me and Walker Holcomb were going to go in this little plane. This another little plane. We're following them. It's always the little plane. Oh man, it's, it's you're right. So we get into the little plane, and as I'm walking up to it, man, I'm thinking, man, this thing looks old. You know, this is, looks like the very first Cessna ever made. <laughs> and I get into it, and it's all chalky. All the plastic is, you know, fuselage really number one, white. You know. Really white and chalky looking like, you know, stuff that gets lays around in Florida for, for too long. Mm-hmm. It gets cooked. So I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going, oh, man. So we we're trying to start it, tried to start it. Walker's back there drinking his rum out of a Coke bottle. And I said, give me a piece of that. I can get some rum. You know, it's hot rum and Coke. You know, he, he mm-hmm. drank a bottle of rum every day. So I, I drank some of that rum, too. And it burned. And I'm sitting there going, watching that thing. For like five minutes, he's trying to start it. And he goes, oh, I'm going to go get a battery. I go, don't worry about it. No, you're not. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I can go get a battery. I said, I don't care. I'm not flying in this plane. I think you made the right call. You can't start it. I'm not flying in it. So I had to make a call and had to get an emergency plane out. The next day, I spent the night in Panama City, and I got an early flight the next day so I could meet the people and fish with them at Perlis the first day. I had to get up early and get out there. But that's That's not even the worst one. The worst one, I was actually sitting in a plane with Walker, and again, in Costa Rica, um, a Sansa plane, mm-hmm. sitting in the, you know, waiting to take off on the dirt runway. Had a little lady pilot and a, and a young man, and they're going through the checklist. And a couple I, of kilos in the hold. I'm smelling smoke. I smell smoke, uh, electrical smoke. And I'm going, and they're still going through their checklist, you know. And I'm looking over their head as they got their heads down, and I see smoke coming out of the cowling. <laughs> You know, the motor's on. We're getting ready to taxi and take off out over the Pacific, up out over the Pacific. Battery's caught on fire. I said, fire, fire, fuego. No. <laughs> they lift their head up. Boom. Get out. Yeah, we get out. And uh, pops open the thing. Smokes come billowing out. And me and Walker look at each other. Man, we were 30 seconds away from taking off. That's what I'm saying. Like We were going to be over the Pacific Ocean. On fire. You guys were lucky that fire happened when it lucky did. Lucky it did. Lucky we caught on fire on the ground. Oh, my God. So then it was. We wouldn't have had a podcast today. Faces and shrimp, buddy, for six hours till another plane came. I was so hammered when I got on the next plane, I didn't care if it crashed. That's that what was, you got to do. Yeah. It was scary. Scary, scary. That's so much. there's been up. more. I mean, the going from Fort Lauderdale to the Bimini one time with a Marlin U. We were doing a special Marlin U for Hatteras. Mm-hmm. We were sitting on the ground in Fort Lauderdale watching planes trying to land during the squall. They couldn't land. It was so bad. And they take off and went someplace else. Mm-hmm. The plane, the storm comes through the airport, tips over a couple planes, you know, little light aircraft on the field, you know, tips them over. Not many people in them, but they were 
Right. And uh, after about 20 minutes, the the storm goes by. We take off. And I know where we're going. Uh We're going from Lauderdale to Bimini. Well, the storm just passed over Lauderdale on its way to Bimini. Yeah. We're flying through the back of the storm to get to Bimini, to get out in front of the storm. And we flew through the back of that damn thunderstorm. And it was the scariest I, you know, I was holding on to Peter B. Wright's hand like he was my mama, and I was holding on, or my daddy, and I was holding on to Barb Laner's hand, you know. And at one point, the dude flips back the little curtain, you know, Bahamas Air or whatever, which we should never have taken off. Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, this is about as bad as it ever gets, you know. Yeah, thanks, Jeez, thanks. Appreciate that. I, I thought it was going to get much worse right before we crashed, you know. And we land, and sure enough, you know, we get run out of the— a uh, place where we landed by water spouts and stuff. We never should have took off. I can't believe to this day that we took off. But they were trying to beat the sunlight. You know, he wanted to get there and get up and out of there before it got dark. And that's you know. So it was about him. Pretty not much you. just pretty much just like probably what happened with Kobe. Right. You know, they were in a hurry to get somewhere. Don't worry if it's foggy or whatever. We need to get there. That guy didn't have. I heard he didn't have like the certification to. To fly, to, to fly in the fog. Supposedly, like, he was their best pilot. You know, they made a mistake by taking off in bad weather. Yeah, which is what we did. We should never have taken off. That's so. That's we should have the sat thing. there and waited another hour, or said, "Okay, we got to spend the night here." And we'll and go got tomorrow. one life to live here. Exactly. You know, you you had to make sure. I am. You, yeah. You can't just be like, "Oh, we'll be fine." I'm the first one to give up. Yeah. Every time. If we're going fishing in a bad place and the weather's nasty and it looks dangerous to me, I'm the first one to say, hey, man, what are we doing out here? Is this fun? Mm-hmm. I'm not having fun. I mean, I mean, we have to be catching the hell out of them for me to stay out there when it's right. unsafe. Yeah. And that's happened before. It was, <laughs> Yeah, that's happened once before to me. What's that? Where it was really bad, but we kept fishing because the fishing was so good. Oh, okay. In Australia, once we had we were fishing in a— uh, and a Marlin U, and the earliest typhoon ever, you know, came. And, uh, you know, when we're there, it's in their spring. Mm-hmm. You know, we're usually there in October or November, which is their springtime. And they usually get cyclones or whatever they call their hurricanes. In, typhoons. Uh, typhoons and, yeah. or whatever. They get those, you know, in the summer like we do. <clears throat> so this one came early, early. And uh, it was churning around up there on the north of Queen- Queensland right north of where we fish so it was you know 15 feet mm-hmm. you know it's what we were fishing in Nasty. on those little 45 foot boats yeah but we caught five black marlin that day so we didn't care that much yeah we did boogie out of there after that day mm-hmm. and we said we got to get out of here because it's got to go south yeah a lot of times when it's you know you're like you got to be catching fish and yeah venezuela was like you know venezuela was a place where you know, you were fishing in big swells a lot, and mm-hmm. if there was any wind, it was it was rough. But the fishing is so good, and you didn't care. Cheap gas and great fishing. You'll it's gotta take be a nice beating. if that opens up. Yeah, it will be. I can't wait. I mean, hopefully it'll they'll get their stuff straightened out. Over yeah, there. I mean, there's such a phenomenal fishery. Any time people ask me where my favorite place to fish was, it was Venezuela. Yeah, because I'm. You know, I'm a numbers kind of guy. I like to see a lot of them, mm-hmm. you know. And now 
you know, there's a lot of big fish guys. And if they ask, if I can tell it's a big fish guy, I'll say Australia is my favorite place to go fishing because we only catch big, great big ones there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a great place to go Monsters, catch big yeah. ones. Yeah. yeah. And you're, that's, you know, that's what you're doing. You're trying to catch great big ones because they're there. You know, they're there and there's actually enough of them there to make it worthwhile to go there. Mm-hmm. You know, Madeira has big blue marlins. I was marlins. just going to bring up bring, you know, They have bring big blue Madeira, marlins. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you plan a trip a year away from a Madeira, you're, you, know, you might as well not even bother. Right. Because you don't know when the fish are going to be there. It's a little island out in the middle of nowhere. So its season isn't a season really. It can be that, – that season could be every three years mm-hmm. or – or every five years or every odd year, or whenever those damn little mackerels or whatever show up, yeah. then the marlin will follow them. Because a lot of those big fish places, you know, especially blue marlin, big fish places. Those blues sometimes are traveling they don't all over the place. Exactly. They're yeah. a true pelagic fish. Yeah. You know, you'll catch a black marlin every once in a while in Australia or someplace out in the open water. But a black marlin is more of a continental shelf species. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like to stray off into the deep as much as a blue. A blue will just head off and go straight across the damn Atlantic Ocean. Right. A black marlin would be more apt to spend the his more time around the edge, mm-hmm. you know, in shallow water. That's why you catch them in Panama and in Australia. You catch them right on the edge. You know, they they grow up inside the reef. Right. The little black marlins there, they eat lobsters and stuff off the bottom, snappers and whatever they can find. And all those marlins and everything, they, they'll eat whatever is the most that's around that's the bait for them yeah if, if you're if you're yeah they'll eat anything they will eat they've never seen anything in their life that was smaller than they are mm-hmm. that's moving that they can't eat and they want it and they and if they're hungry they'll want to eat it that's what's great about a blue marlin right he doesn't mess around when he comes in to eat you don't miss many of them you know you might break a few off but you don't right. really miss them you know, if they're intent on eating, unless you're using a great, great big bait and the fish isn't that big or something like that, usually you hook them. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to stay on. But right. You hook them a lot. So that's why, I mean, I love having guys on like you that are just, <coughs> you know, seasoned, you know, well, I've seen, a, game lot. I've seen cause, a lot. Because I didn't grow up a rich man, rich mm-hmm. man sport, so I don't have a ton of marlin fishing experience. Right. You know what I mean? So I love hearing you know, just different stories and different avenues and different takes on people who really know what they're talking well, about. With well, that kind of it, well, none of the stuff that I know mm-hmm. was gained through, you know, hard work and experience. Mm-hmm. Everything I know is stolen because I've fished with all the really good people. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, I've just been very fortunate. And that right. was my job to try to relate what they were doing to some other people who didn't know as much. So that's, you know, that's how I learned. That's how I, when I think I've, most people learn that way. Right? Well, when I got my, well, no, a lot of guys learn by doing, you know, I didn't learn by doing, I learned by watching, you know, mm-hmm. I started doing it after a while, but when I started at Marlin magazine, when we bought Marlin magazine, I had never seen a Marlin. Mm-hmm. The first Marlin I ever saw was a swordfish. I could have swore it was a Marlin because I didn't know the damn <laughs> difference. I was fishing off the Cape. You know, when I grew up fishing with my buddy Tony Huerta, who taught me how to fish, we fished on a 19-foot aqua sport, and my primary job was to catch dolphins and wahoos. We wanted to eat. Right. And Those old fish. aqua sports with the t- the teal stickers on the side? 
It was red. <laughs> I, I think it was painted with a paintbrush red. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, and it had a you know gasoline engine in it. Mm-hmm. That, was the, that was the first time I went offshore that wasn't on a headboat. Mm-hmm. You know, it was on a 19 foot aqua sport, and we'd fish, you know, 30 miles off the cape in that little thing, and try to catch a wall. He taught me how to tie wire because you ha- you can't troll mono up there because of all the barracudas and the mm-hmm. wahoos, and we would. You'd lose everything. So I learned. I learned how to tie wire with him, and then, you know, out there I was fishing one day and saw what I thought was a, a palm frond, just sticking out of the water. Uh-huh. And then the, the, the hail was out of the water too, a long way away from the. It was a big swordfish, uh-huh. which you know, I didn't know what it was. And I said, "Let's go over by that palm frond." We get up close to it, and it just sinks. Big purple bastard just sinks, you know, right out of sight. I go, it was a blue marlin. It was a blue marlin. And I thought it was a blue marlin for a long time until I found out the difference. Mm-hmm. But it was a big that, fish. That purple on that it's sword a beautiful is, color. is the most beautiful color in the world. Yeah, they are beautiful. Yeah. Like, and it's tough to replicate in paint, too. Yeah, they're pretty. And, you know, sometimes they're brown, and sometimes they're pretty. Right. Just like, you know, P or B once told me, he said, the white marlin is the prettiest marlin. And I'm going, eh, man, you know, yeah. seen any pictures? And then I went to Australia, and you see a big female blue mar- uh, black marlin. When she's ready to spawn, she starts, she turns, you know, she's a 1,000-pound fish, 800-pound fish. She turns stark white. Mm-hmm. I mean, like albino white electric blue, albino white electric blue, you know, f- from head to tail. Flashing in the water. It looks kind of like if you got a big white container, ship container, and dropped it in the water and let it bob up and down with the sun on it. Mm-hmm. You know, changing from white to blue, white to blue, white to blue. It was the most beautiful thing I ever saw. I was like, I guess I know where he got that from now. Yeah. Cause yeah. Blue Marlin, he's all lit up and jumping around. And that probably looked nice in the water too. But that was, she was calling the males. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm positive of it. I'm sure that somebody would disagree, but she was telling those males. She wasn't hooked. She was free-swimming fish. Oh, she's free-swimming. This was a free-swimming fish. Okay. And she's just doing that, electric blue, white, electric blue, white, electric blue, white, and then all these males are around her. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's what she's signaling. Hey, I'm about to drop these eggs. Right. Get in here. And that's what they do. They all swim together and Mm -hmm. let it all go at the same time. Yeah. But a lot of times when you catch those great big females, there's three or four little ones with her, little males. A lot of people ask me all the time, like, what's your favorite fish to paint? And I say all of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, what's your favorite one to catch? Yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> whatever I mean, the one I'm fishing, whatever I've tried to catch that day, you know, even if I'm not trying to catch it, you know, I, I mean, I if, my head's on something. A, if my head's on a bluegill. Yeah, you painting that. You know, I'm just as into making that blue go look phenomenal yeah. as I am as the black. Some of marlin. those little fish are just jewels, mm-hmm. yeah, and you don't really notice them, right? Little you know. chicklids and everything. Yeah, they're they're just know. gorgeous. Yeah, sunfish. A mutton snapper is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It looks like a tropical aquarium fish if you if you pull it right out of the water and look at him. Yeah. Oh, know, I, love, I love the way a mutton looks. Gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they can. It's you can. Find really beautiful things in all those little fish mm-hmm. and the big ones too. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. That's, that was my favorite thing to do was to, you know, take pictures. That's what I, I wanted to get good pictures. Mm-hmm. 
You have to have probably a huge portfolio of pictures over the years. Yeah, mo- yeah, I've got a bunch, but you know they're all owned by Bonnier. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Every yeah. one I took, every one I took. I guess took, that is true. Huh? Yeah, every one I took yeah. when I was working there is owned by them. Yeah, I've gotten quite a few since, and some great ones too. I've I actually went a couple. I haven't even sold them or tried to sell them, but uh, I didn't try hard. There's, I I try to get Marlon to buy a couple, but uh, I'll I'll sell them to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I, I had somebody else wanting to buy them, but I really wanted them to be in Marlin. There's a couple that I took. I have an 800, 900 pound black jumping right at me with its mouth wide open, with you know the captain and the mate and everybody doing their job, and it's all in focus, which is really hard mm-hmm. to get everything you know that depth of field and and the action. But I was lucky because he was far enough away. I had a 200-millimeter lens that I could get everything in focus at the proper depth of field there. Yeah. It's, it's uh, when it comes to photography, there's a lot of people don't see that aspect of it to where it's like well, when to, moments and time yeah. and, techni- you know, in your settings yeah. are all, everything kind of like lines up. and Yeah. Oh, I've taken a, a million crappy pictures. You know, you do. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of tails, a lot of heads. You know, out of focus, so much stuff out of focus. You mm-hmm. know, because of the speed and, and and the light. You know, sometimes the lights. Usually, we have bright sunlight, right. which is it was helpful. You know, we can stop things usually, but not all the time. Panama, one place that it's always seems to be gray and dark. Mm-hmm. I can I can I can look at a picture of a black marlin and say, no, that was taken in Panama for sure. Just about you know ninety percent of the time, and that's not an Australia black. That's a Panama. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the shape of the fish or just, just the surroundings. Water. Yeah, yeah, and the and the atmosphere. <clears throat> yeah, no. Very very seldom do you have bright sunny days in Panama. It seems like every time I'm there, there's always a haze mm-hmm. of some sort. Kind of like Guatemala, just a lot of haze in Guatemala, and it's better if you've got a good haze. I was actually I commented on. Brad Phillips' Facebook post the other day, he was out, and he had a fish on, and he took a little picture. He, oh, great day when you can see the volcanoes. And uh, I put a post on there. Usually when you see those volcanoes, you're getting your butt kicked. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, you're right. Luckily, it doesn't happen very often. And, he, and it's true. You know, it's usually calm there, but I have gotten my butt kicked in Guatemala because if you can see those volcanoes, that means the wind's blowing wind's all that blowing. stuff off yeah. of them. and. It's usually sporty, yeah, offshore when you can see the volcanoes. You're getting me all jacked up. It makes to a head good down picture. South. I know you're getting me all jacked up to head down south and go fishing. Take me with you, man. You want to go? I I want to go. Where, where would you choose first? Oh boy, I'd go. I'd, I'd do a well because summer's coming. I would do a. Uh, I would go with Bubba Carter. I'd go one of those fad trips out of Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. That's where you get. You know, I like numbers. Right. That's, you know, I'm a photographer. Mm-hmm. The more shots I get, the better off, better chance I have of getting a good one. Maybe we can line something up. Yeah, that'd be great. I got a bunch of people have been asking, especially Costa Rica, I got a bunch of people recently have been asking me, like, hey, when are you coming down? When are you coming down? You keep saying you're going to come down. I could probably get you a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now the kids say where they want to go. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's to work that out. I tell you what, I would take my kids to Costa Rica. I've taken my brother there. I take, I've taken my wife there. My kids have never been out of the country. I've taken them all over the states, but I, I really would. Another c- cool place, which, you know, 
I guess we're saying Mexico gets kind of a bad rap. Mm -hmm. Isla Mujeres is a cool place to take kids. Yeah, to take kids? Yeah. Really? Believe it or not. Why is that? It's just very, you know, you have to take a ferry to get out there. You know, it's kind of golf carty and walking and bicycles, Mm -hmm. you know. They don't even have, you know, the only cars there are taxis. So you don't have to deal with the mainland Mexico problems. You don't have to deal with hardly any problems. Yeah. Every, you know, I've been there two or three times and just love it. And I said a hundred times, I'd take my kids here and let them run around mm-hmm. in the shops and the restaurants and everything. It's really cool. Really nice place. I have to consider that for sure. Yeah. But go to Costa Rica first. Yeah. Go I see mean, the volcano. I definitely got to take them to Costa Rica, but I want to do one of those fat trips. And then I was talking to, you know, Drew Thompson, uh, Rod's by Drew. Yeah, yeah. He was. We were talking about doing a family trip down there too. Yeah, Feel like a Capos thing maybe, but Capos is nice. Yeah, well, that place has come a long way. I, I've never even been there, but I I, I fished you know, out of there once. I remember in the it. Marina Pezzella, but it's nice. I and mean, they were kind of really just. It was when it, the whole under construction thing was. Right. I, it was right in the middle of that when I was there. Right. So I haven't seen it finished. Dan yet. does a big. Dan does that big tournament out of there. That IGFA mm-hmm. tournament. Yeah, it was because Skip's running, of Skip's running the hooker out of there now, too. The hooker? Mm-hmm. The tournament? No, or Skip's just running boat? the hooker boat out of, the, oh. out of that marina now, too. There's some there's some fads down there, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was a, yeah. yeah, they're fishing them all the time. Yeah, there was a fellow named Mark Horn. I think it was his name. He put a bunch of those in mm-hmm. early down there. And he would, even before I heard about the ones off uh, Los Sueños, and he would call me and say, hey, man, you, you caught five blue marlins and had ten bites or something. I was like, who is this guy? This didn't, you know, that's, you know, that's like Cape Verde mm-hmm. blue marlin numbers. And he'd call me again, you know, a couple of weeks later. Yeah, we raised 22 and caught 11. And I'm going, wow. And uh, finally I called him back and he told me the whole story about how he had a, he had a sugar daddy a long time ago who wanted to try it and. They put one out there like 60 miles and mm-hmm. then got, once it got bait on it, it got covered up. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I hear that thing's going off. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, it's, there's no better blue marlin fishing in the world right now than those fads. Right. I mean, you're fad fishing, but it's about, so what? Is it about 60 or like 90 miles out? It's out. Yeah, it's right? a good ways. I think we, I think we started at 80. Okay. And then went out to a hundred and something, 110. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know. I was... I was deathly ill. The only time I got to do that, I was so sick. I had I had three guys, one guy from England who had never been offshore fishing mm-hmm. really in his life other than for cod and stuff like that, and then two other fellows who had never seen a blue marlin, and I think we caught 28 in three days, mm-hmm. which was amazing. You know, Had something like 30, 39 bites, something like that. Wow, and you were sick? Oh, I was sick as a dog. What I happened? I was going to die. I had, I don't know, I had some, turned to flu or something. Yeah. And uh, I had a respiratory illness and I was, I slept in the salon on mm-hmm. the floor and the air conditioner was blowing right out of the vent on my face and I had to take showers under a hose, which was cold and man, it got bad. <laughs> wow. I'm hawking up big chunks of white shit and almost puking and when we got back to the dock, I said, Bubba, you got to take me to the doctor, man. <laughs> in Costa Rica, I said, take me to the doctor. I'm wow. dying. And he goes, nah, we're not taking you anywhere. We're going to call them, and they're going to come to you. So I went to this little clinic right there in Los Sueños, and the little doctor came and 
gave me a couple of shots and gave me some pills and it was probably the got smart me move. on the, got me on the road to recovery actually it didn't it didn't it didn't take i had to come home and had to go to the doctor again it was bad wow I, I guess if you're going to see a doctor in Costa Rica, Los Angeles would probably be the place. Yeah, I mean, happen. you know, I bet you 90% of those people down there go to med school in the United States. Right. So. I always call Los Angeles the American safety zone. It is. That's Because sure. you, you go outside of there, it's all just Costa Rica. That's right. And you pull into Los Angeles and the gates open and it's like Disneyland. You're in Lauderdale. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you're you're in Lauderdale. They call it the American safety zone because everything changes inside there. Yeah, we did a, you know, we were there. It's like Las Olas Boulevard or something. Yeah, we we I got to go there early in that place, in mm-hmm. that place's development. That hotel wasn't even there yet. The Marriott wasn't there. Oh, really? Yeah, it was still under construction. Uh, it's beautiful there. I I could have bought a house for two hundred and fifty grand. He wanted <laughs> he wanted me. Bill Royce to say, hey, "Yeah, Dave will build you a house right there, two hundred fifty grand." Like, Bill, where am I going to get two hundred fifty? I was making, you know, whatever, right. eighteen thousand dollars a year as an art director. I was up more than that, hopefully by then, <laughs> not much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, you couldn't touch a house there for a million now. <clears throat> I wouldn't doubt. Yeah, Maybe now millions. now they're now that's prime condos are prime millions. real estate. Yeah, well, the, most of those guys are they're pretty much they buy them and then they'll just rent them out. To, to people taking yeah, trips down there. Yeah, there's a bunch of fellows that live there, that. though, too. Yeah. yeah. People are living there full-time, I guess. Yeah. It's a great place. Yeah, it's 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 really something special. It's very nice. Yeah, it's very, very, one of the nicer places I've ever been. I took my wife there. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. She enjoyed it, I bet. Very, very yeah. much so. But I, like, I always did a lot of my Marlin News. We started doing them there towards the end because we had a big trade-out with the magazine. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't could not take advantage of that big advertising trade out you know it took away a lot of the the cost you know but before we got that big trade deal i did them in guanamar which is a, a little bit north uh probably about 50 miles if you took about a boat up to the north mm-hmm. it's where joan vernon has her house up there okay and playa samara and and they have a hotel guanamar right there which is very secluded and private and great place to take 12 dudes who just want to do whatever they want, you know? Right. And, the, and the fishing was really good then there because it, there's a lot more structure up around that corner, that Cabo Blanco. If you go North of that Cabo Blanco, it gets really structury, a lot of canyons and Marlin holding places, you know? Mm-hmm. So we'd catch a lot of Marlins up there and a lot of sailfish. And that's where we actually did the very first Marlin university was in Guanamar and then we, every time we did Costa Rica was always in Guatemala until we, I don't know, the last four or five years. And we started doing them down in Los Sueños. So you're mostly on Los Sueños now for the most part. I, I think that's where they only do them, yeah. I don't have anything to do with it anymore. No, no, I mean you in general. Just when, whenever you go to Costa, you pretty much the Los Sueños thing. Yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah. Yeah, that's the spot. I'd go there or Capos. Yeah. Although now uh, Tamarindo, they're starting to build a marina there. And it's, I heard about that. Yeah, and it's very, yeah. yeah, it's and it's moving along. So they should, you know, probably in the next couple of years, that place will be great to go. Mm-hmm. You know, if you wanted to take a boat there, I've I've never been up there, but my buddy Bo, he fishes up out of the of, of that place, Flamingo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skip, Skeet, Skeet, Skeet Warren on the Bushwhacker. Yeah, he's really good. He's been in Costa Rica for a long, long time. 
He went around the See, world. As you can tell, her. I got the Costa Rica itch right now. Yeah, yeah, man. So I'm, I'm like, I know exactly how you is. You want to go to every house? Of course, come to Costa Rica. <laughs> yeah. yeah, John wants to catch roosters from the shore. Yeah. Oh, I'll catch yeah. them wherever. But it's hard. But to I know that's what I know. But that's surf. what I know. That's what you really want to yeah. do, though. Yeah, it's hard to do that there. I know, but that that's he. That's a rocky place. It's very rocky there. Yeah. Be better off in a boat there. Yeah. I went once on the. We talked about this on the show before. I doing rooster fishing on a panga. Columbia has a lot of beaches. Yeah. Yep. With roosters on them. Really? Yeah. They, I know they got some nice size ones there, too. Oh, yeah. there you go, John. And what's cool about Columbia, too, is they have an amazing inshore fishery. They do. The peacock bass and mm-hmm. the arapaima and all those yep. weird, you know, big tropical jungle fish loaded with them. Beautiful. I mean, ginormous peacock bass. They don't have those golden dorados there, do they? I don't know if they have them there. That, that's, more, that's even more. That's what I was going to say. That's more of South America, South America. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not going to say that they don't have them there. Yeah, I wonder. But, I'm curious about that. Yeah, Where, I are a lot of those geo bass guys fishing in that area down there? The, the Costa did that. Costa Del Mar right. did that thing for a while. I the think geo they bass. were targeting the peacocks when they went there. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I really want to do that. They have, they have, uh, they have a floating camp. You know, you float down the river on the camp. You that's know, cool. That's, yeah, that's pretty really? cool. Yeah, yeah. Bring your bug spray. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. I always say if I ever went on a Naked and Afraid, that's what I'd have. I'd have a can of DEET. Well, you're ready. Giant, <laughs> the biggest can of DEET. <laughs> you're ready, right? Because yeah. you're already sleeping naked, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Think about how if you're watching those people, mostly they're suffering from bugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sun and the bugs. I'd sleep all day. <laughs> I would never. They would. They would never get any footage of me in the daytime. <laughs> They'd have to use the night footage all the time. I'm. I'm only up at night. I'm like these animals, man. I'm not going to walk. Around I swear to you, have guns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Naked with a gun. My deet. You know what? It'd probably be more effective in, in my hands. A can of deet than my gun. I'd probably yeah. end up shooting myself. <laughs> probably do that with a deet. Take it right in my own face. <laughs> oh, the damn nozzles backwards. But I love that stuff. Deed is, you know, no, it's, it's better living through the, chemicals. It's one of the better. One there of the would better be no Florida. There would be no Florida without Deed. You got oh a bunch God. of guys crying about how we're spraying now. We're spraying all the, we're spraying all the water weeds, and you know we're spraying for mosquitoes. We're killing everything. We couldn't live here if they didn't spray for mosquitoes. This this place was covered in malaria, and yellow fever, and all those things when. You know, before they started spraying and getting that's rid the of reason things. why. And you couldn't exactly. build here because everything was sand, right? right? So, so we always say that right. that Florida is like the last frontier of the United States. Air conditioning, like made everything Florida. else. Like we, I mean, Lewis and Clark conquered the Oregon Trail or whatever, which was all that Rocky Mountain terrain, yeah. and got all the way to the Pacific before anyone really, really, truly. Yeah. Like settled pleasant, in Florida because it was pleasant out west. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pleasant out west. Exactly, it was a dry climate. You know, yeah. what I mean? like you know, nothing flowing pleasant, rivers. Nothing pleasant in Florida. Yeah. If, you, if you were having a rock to build Paul, on Palmetto, can you imagine? You look at some of this stuff out west. That if you had had to walk a mile through that stuff, yeah, you needed a railroad down here just to get through it all. Yeah, correct. correct. Yeah, and then you get then you got the natives. Yeah. You know, the Miccosukee and the Seminole and and all them. You know, killers. wrestling alligators and they're killers. Cold and stone. The, the the bugs and the sand and nowhere to build anything. I mean, yeah. you're basically uh, what, what do you call that? The the mosquito coast. Yeah, yeah. Coming down here, it was. You know, and this is not that long ago. No, nope. what 150 years ago? Yeah, if that. 
Well, you know, Key West, I think Key West was at one time the biggest city in, in Florida. Right, for the because long of the cigar time. trade. Cigars and rum. Yeah, and rum, yeah. You know, it was, it was huge. And, and when the railroad finally got down there, you know, that's, it even made it more so. They could, yep. yeah. Cattle, and then Prohibition. Cattle started coming, and exactly. Right. And then the rum trade from back and forth the Bahamas, they would, they would bring, and that's where the term the real McCoy comes from. Yeah. Because McCoy was the one, the rum runner, making it back and forth from the, the real Bahamas rum. to Fort Lauderdale. And so say that's the real McCoy. That's yeah, my, where the term actually, comes from. My grandfather was born on Key West. He uh, Oh he was? Yeah. He uh his father worked on that railroad, the Flagler Railroad, all the way to Key West. Get out. So he was my grandfather was born We're big Flagler 20, fans. Twenty eight. Yeah. Nineteen twenty eight or something. He was born in Key West because that's where the railroad stopped. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's where he was born. But then he moved eventually he moved to Apopka and that's where he went to high school. Mm-hmm. Apopka High. Up in Central Florida. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. The the um, yeah, the whole Florida frontier thing is just it just boggles my mind. Not boggles mm-hmm. my mind, it just blows my mind. Like you know, when you look at our history, uh, we're like the, our history is like mutts. Art Deco it's in a the fifties. Mutts, man. Yeah, a lot of them. You know, my like my wife's parents came from England through the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Her her grandparents were Bahamians, true Bahamians. Lived on Long Island, had a plantation, walked off and left it. And went to West Palm to fish for lobsters. And that's her. And then her, they stayed. Yeah. Her her father was a lobsterman and she was born there in, in yeah. Palm, West Palm. Riviera Beach kind of really. We talked about Europe earlier. Even places in New York. I mean, there's places up in the Northeast that have been around since the 1600s and yeah, yeah. 1800s. And you're not going to find anything like that down here. Hardly. You're saying Augustine, Augustine. That's a bit. Yeah. Well, that was one cool thing about living and you know, growing up in Germany is because you saw history. Yeah. You know, it was really a, you become a student of history, mm-hmm. you know, just because this is where you know, our history sprung from, you know, yeah. it was Europe. You know, we have to share that European history. That stuff just blows my mind. Yeah. I wish like people, we have I like wish Florida. people pay more attention to it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you got that right, especially with yeah. in, in a in this election year. Yeah, we need people to pay attention. I think we need less lawyers in politics and more historians. Yeah, that's true. But it's the way I see it. Me too. But I don't know. <laughs> so how how many seasons is this um, insider fishing report been? How, how I believe this will be Rick? the sixteenth year. Yeah, sixteen years. Yeah, mm-hmm. you and Captain Rick been together sixteen years. Yes. Yeah. And Bree, how long have you been with the show? Uh, five years, I think. Five now. years. Yeah. Great addition. She's awesome. I she mean, is awesome. And I'll be honest with you. The, when she first started, I thought she was kind of kooky. And then. <laughs> Shout out to Brie. She, she is not. She's just amazing. She's so good at what she she's does. She's so nice. Too. She is so sweet. I mean, I got to meet her at the iCast it's, when, it's, when we were all hanging out there. It's hard to meet a girl that hot who's so cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Most of them think they're hot. I do. You know? And she is just cool. No, she she is she, she's, she's so gorgeous. She's nice. She's, she's actually she's, coming up to fish with me March fifteenth. She just sent me a thing yesterday saying, "Hey, you want to? Can I come up there and go bass fishing? We'll mm-hmm. make a YouTube video." Cool. So we're gonna do that. Very cool. Yeah. You have a little extra spot on the boat. Let me know. <laughs> I don't. It's only <laughs> probably is a little boat. <laughs> it's a tiny boat. It really yeah. is. Small. No, it was nice to get to meet her and hang out with you guys at the last iCast and the yeah, whole thing like that. She, she was just real sweet. She's awesome. And yeah. she's really good at what she does. Mm-hmm. She's really, she's getting, she seems to get better and better at it. Yeah, cool. So I feel like I regress every year and bring <laughs> better every year. <laughs> so, 
Maybe we balance it out. Are you fishing today? I am not. I am not. not. I might go hang out with my buddy High. Yeah. High Trong. He's he's a big Oh yeah, he's down here. Yeah. yeah. So yep. I might go fishing with him. You might have him in here one day. He'd I'd love to cool. have him on the show. Yeah, he, yeah, he's a cool guy. We've spoken a couple of times on digitally there. Yeah, he taught but, uh, he he taught me how to catch these peacock bass down here. Yeah, he's the authority. Him and, yeah, him and Kwanzaa. I don't even remember Kwanzaa Henderson. He's mm-hmm. a, he's a mm-hmm. kayaker. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's battling uh, cancer right now. So really, yeah, he, young fellow. You know, he's in his mid forties and you know had some problems. Went to the doctor and boy, he got stage four cancer so you know, oh, man. yeah Kwanzaa Kwanzaa Henderson he's got a GoFundMe page you know they asked me if I had anything to sell or anything if it, go to go he's help got a GoFundMe right now yeah. we'll, put that, we'll put that out John yeah. you're gonna put that up on yeah John yeah. will put that up on the go screen help here Kwanzaa out because he really needs it you know he's got two little kids and he's battling right yeah, now yeah make that a connected by water moment everybody yeah. this that's what connected by water is all about it's all about yeah. the community coming together so yeah. or our little aquatic community whether it be fishing or surfing or diving or just I, all around I, lovers of the ocean. Right. And I caught my first uh, peacock with Kwanzaa, actually. So. Really? Yeah. He he just called me out, uh, you know, got me on Facebook, you know, because I, you know, he knew that I was commuting down here to do the show. Yeah. I said, hey, man, come fish with me. I'll take, you know, yeah, I saw that you wanted to catch a peacock. Yeah. And uh, he caught me my first one on artificial, actually, in that um, Pat. Who's that photographer? Pat Ford. Pat Ford. Good Lord. Yeah, Pat Ford. He actually caught me my first one because the lake he lives on is loaded with them. Oh, is it? So he said, yeah, I'll buy you 12 shiners and you'll catch 12. <laughs> and he was right. I think I caught 15 on 12 shiners because I, I used a couple dead ones twice, you know. But, yeah, he, he actually caught my – I caught my first one with him. But Kwanzaa and I caught my first artificial one. So this is really the first one, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> I'd love to go fishing with you today, man, but I got a guitar to paint. No, I'm, I think I'm just going to go eat chili dogs or something. <laughs> we'll go find some good yeah. good Vietnamese food or something. Right on. We like to right good on. foods. Well, everyone check out. I want to thank you for coming in today. Like, it really means no a lot. No worries. We're done already? Well, we, can keep, we can keep going if you want. We, where are we at right now? We're at 131. 131. You want to go more than an hour and a half? We yeah, we can. Out. I don't care. Right. I still, you know, if you want to ask me some questions, I still got a lot of Stuff. What's the um, what's the biggest peacock bass you've ever caught? I was probably about four pounds, I guess. Yeah. It's not. A, I love it catching wasn't those a monster. Peacocks. I haven't caught a monster yet. But. I haven't caught a peacock in a while because most of the most of the fishing I've been doing recently has just been kind of like elementary style with the kids, just kind of yeah. teaching them. I caught a ba- I caught an eight pound bass just three to four days ago, right before that cold front. They were really st- yeah. Right, your house, uh, Lake Tahoe, West Lake. You know, Kissimmee, it's a mm-hmm. big, it, right now, the big bass are chewing. You know, it's post-spawn or pre-spawn or I don't know what kind of spawning action they're doing, but the big ones are eating right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I only caught five. I missed quite a few because I had double headers right. and I was by myself. So I'd have two shiners go down at the same time, and I'd be trying to fight this one and put it down, and I'd end up losing. I, I think I caught five with my dozen shiners. The smallest one was five pounds. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them were between five and eight. And we were supposed to go bass fishing this weekend um, with Jose Carbonell. Yeah. He um, he works at Merit Boat, and he does a lot of stuff for FFO, Freedom Fighter Outdoors, which we do a lot of work with here at the studio. Uh-huh. Um, but his outboard blew up. Oh. So I don't think that show is going to take the kids out to Lake Ida and 
you know, do the clown knife and the oh, peacock yeah. and That's everything like that. That's one I've always wanted to catch that sucker, too. Yeah. So we're, I was kind of hoping to catch a clown this weekend, but I don't think it's going to happen now. Yeah. So I got to call him up, see if he got his new motor yet. But I, I'm not I'm not hopeful that he's going to get that thing bolted on and take us fishing. It'd take much to get him on there. Yeah. Well, getting it's the hard part. Getting it. That's, that's what I mean. I'm not, I'm not sure what it is. I know he fished a tournament this weekend. He could usually find a guy to put it on there for you. I, see, that's the one place I've never fished in was Lake Okeechobee. And being a Florida fellow. I've never fished Lake Okeechobee either. I think I've only seen it once. I've been gator hunting there, but I haven't caught a fish there. I think I've only seen it once, and that was right at dusk. And I'm not really sure if it was it or a canal. Right. <laughs> you know, I was driving <laughs> yeah. by all these well, levees. Well, you got that outer rim. I was trying the... to dodge a hurricane one time coming back from from Miami to Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to I was trying to dodge the traffic that was all piled up on the turnpike going yeah. north. Yeah. So I went the back way. And, uh, That's the crappiest thing about hurricanes, especially if you're in South Florida. If you need to get out, it's yeah, pretty much, that much way one, one way in, one way out. You yeah. know, there are a couple ways in, but not really. When the entire population of South Florida, which yeah. is like well, between Dade and Broward, yeah, we got what about five million people? It's a lot down of here, something like that. It's a lot. Yeah, and then you count the keys, and everyone trying to get out of there. It gets pretty congested for three three roads out. Yeah, Turnpike ninety five and. If you want to head west, head west to go to 75, and that's, and that's yeah. about it. But when I, when I went up the back way, still, eventually when I got up to Kissimmee and had to get on the turnpike again, I ran into a big mess. Yeah. But it it turned out to be a, a five-hour trip versus a three-and-a-half-hour trip, which isn't mm-hmm. too bad because I know some people who told me that they sat in traffic on that night, like all night, mm-hmm. trying to get north to get out See, of here. See, I can't, I can't do it. I like, I've, crazy, never evacu- I've never evacuated a— a hurricane. Yeah. I the only one time um I considered it was what was it? Was it Matthew that yeah. ran through the keys, the one that kind of went through Key West and really like yeah. Irma. Irma got me. Irma was the one. Or, yeah, Irma right? got my neighbor. Like three years three years ago was it now? Like two. two. And and it ran half. through the ran through the keys and then really, really hit um like Naples yeah. and Fort Myers yeah. and everything like that. Yeah. That came through as like a five. Yeah, that thing knocked down two trees in my and through my neighbor's house all the way to the floor. Yeah. His house is still being fixed. To, it's oh. almost done, but it's still yeah. being fixed to this day. He hasn't moved back in. <laughs> really? <laughs> he still hasn't moved back in. No. He was yeah. a single guy, and the insurance started to screw with him about how much they were going to pay him. Mm-hmm. And he says, man, I don't care. I will stay in this hotel and charge you and charge you. Yeah, I'm right. in no hurry. You can't. Yeah. I got somebody washing my clothes and take care of stuff. You can't hurt me. You'll be sued. Mm-hmm. And eventually they had to finally cave and build him this whole new house. Cause, oh, good for him. Yeah, because it was crazy. You know, literally two enormous oak trees went all the way through his roof into the floor. And then it rained, you know, for three days afterwards. Right. Or, and he's been paying an insurance company all these yeah, years. Exactly. They hate and then companies. they wanted to not pay him for it. They wanted to give him like 30 grand companies. or something. Right. And, you know, his roof's going to cost 10. <clears throat> and <laughs> it was crazy. I can't stand insurance companies because they pull that kind of shit all the time. Listen, I pay, if you're you paying, pay. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the deal, right? <laughs> so, like, I'm sorry, but I didn't cut that tree down that fell on my right. roof and put the hole in So I'll pay because that that, that's lucky. the deal. I, I, I live in the house that my grandfather built. and uh, I, You live so, there now? Yeah. So That's kind of cool. Yeah, so I know it's not going to fall down. You know, He was an iron worker. There's enough rebar mm-hmm. in the walls that it's not going to ever fall down. Uh, but I do live under two giant oak trees, 
you know. Right. It'll never blow down, but those oak trees could go right through the roof. So every hurricane, I leave the house. I don't leave Central Florida. Mm-hmm. I usually go stay in a in a hotel out at Kissimmee. It's probably not a bad idea. A dog-friendly hotel yeah. because there's been several times. I used to have a house over on Lake Conway that didn't have any trees over the top of it. So right. if a hurricane came, we would just go stay in that house until it, I sold it's, it. It sounds like a smart move. Yeah, because the, these two oak trees in my front yard, if you probably get four guys, right. you could probably reach all the way around one of them. And there's two of them, and they're right next to each other into a big V. And you, and yeah, and like and those, I said, those things do they're get hundred, up, it's a hundred foot uprooted. tall, probably 80 feet tall. Yeah, that'll do some damage. The the limbs on it are you couldn't reach around. I mean, just the limbs, it's a yeah, huge, they're two huge trees. That's thick. So if it fell, it would go right to the floor. So I get I, out of there. <laughs> I don't have that no evacuation policy for any yeah. reason of pride. Yeah. I have it because I just don't want to deal with it. I'd rather just tough it out and, like, you know, deal with the consequences. And if there's fallout and clean up and low power, and that's a heck of a lot worse than trying to get back into town when you can't get back. Yeah, Charlie Charlie messed us up pretty good. Yeah, a lot of times you can't get back. Yeah, I went to the other house. That's my issue with it. Yeah, I went to the other house, and uh, I lived probably a mile and a half, Mm -hmm. maybe. From the other house. Yeah, Charlie ripped through you guys. True. It was sat yeah, on us. I remember that. Good, well, it didn't sat it on was us. Was the summer 2004? Something like that. I yeah. think because there's 2004 and 2005. We had two like bad three years. In, a, in a row. In one With year. Charlie and Francis and there was one other one. Hugo or something. Yeah. We had three of them come through there. and uh, But Charlie was the worst. It was 110 something sustained. But it took me uh, almost six hours to drive from that, hour, that mile and a half after the Charlie went through. Because I, I had a chainsaw on the back of my truck. So I had wow. to cut my way all the way to the other house just to see if it was right. still there. We actually had three houses at the time. I had one downtown Orlando, mm-hmm. which was surrounded by oak trees. And an oak tree went across. It was in my yard, fell across the street and crushed a house next to me on this side. And the one in my front yard fell forward and crushed a BMW in the street. And my house sat in the middle and did nothing. And the Spitfire was just sitting there. Sitting there, pristine. <laughs> never. I was actually running then. But, uh, yeah, I was, I've been very fortunate. I did have the Hurricane David when I was a kid. At, David, yeah. At Patrick. Mm-hmm. We actually got booted out of our, our housing because that a, was a, historic a big, paper tree, big paper tree came into our kitchen. Really? And, yeah. Man, we were, yeah, we were forced to leave. So my wife and I, have we have a story about Hurricane Wilma which came in 2005, um, she had just moved down to New Jersey, I think it was in 2003, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden she gets hit with, well, in 2004, we got a hurricane every weekend. Yeah. Like the whole state. Like, there was like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like, and people forget, you know, oh, like yeah. it was like, it didn't happen during the week. Everyone yeah. got to go to work all week, and then hurricane, hurricane. for the weekend, hurricane for the weekend. Yeah. And it was it was to a point where if it was a Category 1, we still went out at night. You know, <laughs> oh, we'll go out to dinner. It's only a 1. You know, but because because it's like you had to get out of the house. It was like yeah. this the year was crazy. And 2005 wasn't as bad. I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad. And we got hit with Hurricane Wilma here in Broward County. And it was going to completely miss us. Yeah. And it happened in late October. We thought we were done with hurricane season because right. of W, Wilma. Right? I remember that. And this cold front came and pushed it right into us. Yeah, yeah. It did that little loop, right? Yep. Did it, that real, little loop right because up, of the cold front. It went, it went right, up, uh, right up the turnpike. Yeah. And I remember the um, right after the hurricane hit, we got that cold front, and it was like mm-hmm. 40 degrees at night. 
Right. And it went from like 80 to 40 in like one day. At least it was cool without power. Exactly. That was, that was the bonus part about it, but it was supposed to hit us as a one. So no one was really worried about it. And I had just started dating my wife then. And I was, and she's from New Jersey. So I'm like, I'll, I'll be your hero. I'll bring over a bottle of wine, (laughs) six pack, some candles, you know what I mean? Try to, you know, whatever. Thought I knew what I was doing. I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll protect you. So this thing starts really coming in. I'm like, man, this thing's, this is not a one. It can't be a one. There's no way. And then, you know, sleep through the night and then the windows are wobbling and the whole thing, we weren't really prepped for it. And like trees are cracking in her backyard and falling down. I'm like, oh my God. So like right as the sun was coming up, you're starting to see all the devastation. Yeah. Then the eye goes right through us. And we went outside and we go, oh, cool. This is awesome. You know, we were actually in the eye. So if uh, no one's ever been in the eye of a hurricane, it's actually really a cool it thing. It is neat. Um, That's one bad thing about, I was about to say when you were talking about this is I feel really guilty because I dig being in those storms. Yeah. I, I kind of like I kind of get a, and it's horrible because of all the, the, you know, people who've lost their houses, I apologize. And if you've lost family members or whatever, I hate that. And it, and it, and it's horrible. But there's something thrilling. About, if you're prepared for it, yeah, if it's a ready, cool thing to go through. Something thrilling about being in a, in right. a seeing nature work. It's magic, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's full devastation, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I'm terrified of tornadoes. Terrified oh, of. Well, them. you know what? I because and that's what because that's we what grew up with does a lot of the damage yeah. in those hurricanes. Yeah. Yes, you know, is Absolutely. those tornadoes. You don't realize that. <clears throat> but those things scare me to death. Yep. You know, yep. that the, your finger can just come down and because I grew up a part of my time. <laughs> I went from Wiesbaden, Germany. Our next station was Montgomery, Alabama. Mm-hmm. So it was like getting hit in the face with a culture shovel. Yeah. From rural Alabama. I lived north of Alabama, of Montgomery. I didn't even live in the city. I lived out like 30 minutes north in a place called Millbrook, Prattville, Alabama, a really small town. Okay. And, uh, was oh, that along was, the coast? <clears throat> no, like it's in Mobile the town or? No, it's north of Montgomery. Montgomery's okay. in the middle, and it's a little bit north of that. So it's out in the middle of the country. But it was a hur- It was tornado. It was a big tornado out that way too. Oh, there's everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was farming, but uh, a lot of cotton and stuff. Yeah. But uh, the tornadoes were bad there, and they they scared me to death. They really yeah. did because they would you could see, you know. The I'll take a hurricane over any of that. Yeah, so, me too. Because you give me five days' notice, I'm yeah. good. Well, it's just not, you know. The tornadoes had 42, just pop up. Yeah, 42 people just killed up. here with a tornado. Yeah. Like 10 years ago, pretty much like this month. Mm-hmm. Didn't they have one bad one that just ran through St. Augustine, didn't they? Just like a know. couple months ago. I don't know. I had some friends up there that they woke up in the morning. They were posting on Facebook, we survived, we're okay. I'm like, surviving okay from what? <laughs> and apparently, apparently like a. That's, like a, that's a bad thing about tornadoes, man. You never know where yeah. where that thing's going to reach down and the the wipe you off. Yeah. Like Tornadoes, earthquakes, so like landslides, like you can ha- you can have it. I'll, like I've I'll, never experienced an earthquake, thank goodness. No, thank no, me neither. But <laughs> I just can't imagine. Supposedly, like all of a sudden Florida has earthquakes. Like, Every state in the union has for earthquakes. Yeah, we're on a fault. Yeah, but, but we just don't feel them. Yeah, it's not, not like uh, yeah, not like some of the other ones. We're on a big Swiss cheese, actually. I watched that drain the ocean. Um, and I love that. You stuff. see that show? Isn't that cool? I love it. So my kids love that. They watched. We got the Disney Plus mm-hmm. and National Geographic as a component to that. Right. So the day we got it, I'm thinking, all right, they're going to want to watch Pinocchio or some of all these other cartoons. And they see, oh, National Geographic. This is how my kids are. Like, So they went right to That's National awesome. Geographic. Yeah. So we started watching Drain the Ocean of Port Royal in Jamaica about how that. 
The whole town is underwater, <laughs> right? Because of the earth, earthquake fault lines right there. Like literally. It's going to fall off? Yeah. And apparently that town was like the most debauchery laden, like oh, pirate sure. town. <laughs> like that's where like the whole Pirates of the Caribbean was like right. the town that was, it was mirrored after that where it's just like, you know, and they, they say it was like an act of God that that whole town was underwater because there was so much debauchery and going on. I don't know. There's good fishing in Jamaica. Yeah, there's good fishing in Jamaica. There's some good wahoo fishing on the on the south of part of that, you know, the south end yeah. of the island. Yeah, There's a place called Morant Bay, which nobody goes. It's not a touristy place. <clears throat> it's down there on that east, southeast end. There's also a place called Boston on the very end of Jamaica, mm-hmm. which is where a jerk comes from. It's like the Memphis of barbecue. Really? A place called Boston. If you ever get to Jamaica, you got to make that trip all the mm-hmm. way out to that end because it's amazing. But there's a big bank called the Morant Banks out there, and there's tons of Wahoo out there. I went there with a Carrie Chin. He's from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went down there once to do an article on the Wahoo fishing, and I think we caught 50 one day. Wow. Mm-hmm. They were like 35 to 60 pounds. You know, they were, it, was, it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. And it, it's really cool. I like that National Geographic because when I was a kid, my dad, you know, I didn't like riding the bus to school, and my dad got up early. So he would drive me to school and drop me at the library, and the library always used to open like an hour before school started. Mm-hmm. So I'd go sit in the library, and I'd pluck off those bound National Ge- Geographic volumes, you know, the big mm-hmm. – they'd have every – you know, the, all the ones for yeah, the, we like used to three collect four them. years. We used to collect them as, as a family. We so I'd sit there, and that's what I'd do every morning for an hour is I'd read – through those National Geographics from the beginning to the end of the bound volumes. And I went through, I don't know, a lot. Yeah. I went through quite a, quite a few of them. And uh, there for a while, it was pretty, pretty rough to beat me in a trivial pursuit or any of those <laughs> kind of. Oh yeah. Yeah. I knew a lot about all kinds of geography, inconsequential yeah. information. <laughs> Useless knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tons of stuff. Yeah. But it, and my was, dad was, was on fun. Jeopardy. Um, oh really? The old Jeopardy though, like when I who was the the old host? I can't remember the name of the old host, but it was before Alex Trebek. It was Parr wasn't it? Or Jack Parr? I or? think so. And then the show went away for a while, and then it came back. Right. But my dad basically he wrote down the right final Jeopardy answer and crossed it out, and oh. then wrote the wrong. Enough, and if he would if he would have not crossed it out, he would have won, won that day. Yeah. Oh. But I remember. See, that's why I wouldn't want to go on that show. I'd do something like that right at the end. Yeah. I'd have a huge lead, and then. Get a you know subject is marlin fishing. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> and did you it. ever see that episode of Cheers? <laughs> you ever see that episode of Cheers when um yes Cliff Clavin yes that was like my favorite that, yeah that's exactly episode. why I wouldn't want to do it. And he was cleaning the house. They had like you know stamps was a category. Like things all about postal beer was a category. Like and he yeah. was just cleaning the house and he had like fifty thousand dollars and everyone else had nothing. And Alex Trebek was like, well, let's. Cliff did something stupid here, and he ended up betting it all and getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly me. And the person won me. with like a dollar. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Jeopardy. Yeah. I'd love to go on Jeopardy, though. I would, too. I'd do pretty good on trivia. Yeah. Like, okay, but I'm not like, you know, James new, or Ken Jennings level. But. It's all the new stuff that would get me an opera. Opera. I wouldn't. If there was an opera category, that would sink me. Well, what category always messes me up? Authors. Authors kind of messes me up. Yeah. I mean, because, I don't know. But Usually uh, I can guess an author if they give me the name of the book. Like the newer authors, I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't know. You know, like the classic authors, I know all yeah. of them. 
you know, but the, when they asked That was another thing English. I used to read with those Reader's Digest condensed books. Mm-hmm. My, for some reason, they were – you could get them, you know, uh, at bookstores and stuff. They'd, they'd have these Reader's Digest condensed, big bound volumes sold from libraries for like 50 cents a piece. Mm-hmm. And my parents made sure I had a huge diet of those things because they had, they had stories from every, you know, fiction, nonfiction, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff in them. I was never a reader – because yeah, I, I was always a drawer. Yeah. Because right? I, I was used to always occupy my time just drawing my own pictures and making my own little fake magazines and different things as a kid. And, but I remember one time it was right in high school, and I had read a few things, like, you know, where the basic stuff, like the All Quiet on the Western Front and Where the Red Fern Grows. And oh, yeah. then I would just kind of, like, didn't read them cover to cover. I just kind of, like, would skim through them just enough to be able to pass the test kind of right. thing. And then... um it was, I think it was my sophomore year of high school. And I was very good friends with the Bennett family, the Bennett Auto Supply. Right? I still am right. to this day. And they always got involved at Daytona 500. I really wanted to go. We were very cl- we were very close with uh, Davey Allison and the whole Haviland crew. And so there was my opportunity to get pit passes. We're going to meet Davey Allison. We're going to go to the track, take pictures with his car and everything, the whole nine yards. It's going to be a great epic trip. My mom goes, okay, read 1984. <laughs> but it was a, it was already a school assignment. Right. Right. So she knew I, I had it coming up, and she knew I wasn't going to read it. I was just going to BS my way through the whole thing like I always did everything else, right? And um, she goes, I've read the book. Your brother read the book in high school, right? And we know it very well. So she goes, I already have a test lined out for you. And I'm going to give you the test, and you need to pass my test. <laughs> If you want to go to the Daytona 500. All right. So. Did you make it? I read it cover to cover. Yeah. And now I, to this day, always refer to that story, you know, that 1984 book for, for everything. It really is a very important book to read. Oh, but, yeah, for sure. Um, my son. I was happy she did that. And ever since then, I've been a reader. That's awesome. That, my, that really was got me started on reading. My oldest son, Jack, is very, he's brilliant. He's a very smart little fella. And he's not, I call him a little fella. He's about to turn 21 years old. But he's at University of Florida now, and I don't think he's never made a B. I mean, he's he's really smart. Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, at at one point he wanted an he wanted an an iPad, and my wife says, "Well, if you read all the Newberry Award Newberry Award winning books in a year, we'll buy you one." There's eighty of them. At that time, there was eighty. I imagine there's like ninety now, or eighty five, or something. They give up for every year. He read them all in six months. Come on. He read 80 books in six months. Now, to be fair, some of them are picture books. You know, it's a children's award Mm -hmm. book. So some of them are picture books, but some of them are big, fat books, you know. But he read all 80 of them in six months. Six months. Wow. You know, they say that there's no better way to get smart. He's a great writer. Other than to just read. He's such a good writer. He really is, and that's and that's you know why, I, that's why I you know consider myself a good writer is because I had I read a lot. Mm-hmm. I read. I remember, you know, every time I got in the car, we did a lot of those car trips, like I said, through Europe and whatnot. Every time I was in the car, I had a book. Mm-hmm. I remember reading. I remember buying uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea on the ferry that was going from the Netherlands to England, and reading it on the ferry mm-hmm. and getting seasick as hell. 
but not being able to stop reading that book. Right. Because it was, you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It was an awesome book. Wow. But I remember getting sick, you know, and then thinking, boy, I'm never going on any boats anymore. Right. <laughs> every, every time I got well, on you got it, sick on the ferry? Yeah. yeah Big boats. I'm the telling you, there's no, there's, there is no worse feeling in the world oh. than seasickness. Oh, the very first time like I went offshore. Really, I don't know if you've ever gotten seasick before. No. It's horrible. It, yeah, it's it's not good. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I get it. I'm, I'm telling you right now, right, I was, I never used to get seasick, right? Occasionally, maybe as a kid, a couple of times I'd have like a, a touch of it. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? If it was like a bad day and you're like, like marathon, you're like 25 miles out and you're just like, oh, I'll never get back short. And I feel like crap. I'm like, you know, yeah. get a little sick, whatever. It's happened. But then, you know, for you fish more and I didn't get seasick for years. And one morning I went out, it was a tournament day, a sailfish tournament. And oh, it must have been about 10 years ago and maybe seven years ago, something like that. And my grunden's on, and it wasn't really that bad out. Uh-huh. It was like, you know, two to four, three to five, maybe occasionally, something like that. And I don't know if I was, like, cold sweating. Maybe I just got myself too warm, and I just, like, sweated myself out. You weren't hungover, were you? No. Uh-huh. And it was, like, right at 7 o'clock, and my buddy, the Catherine with Gerard, he's like, hey, D, you all right? You're looking a little green. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? And so I went up. I got a goggle. I just went up to the bow. Just let me get the bow. Uh-huh. Right? I just pitched the goggle eye out, you know what I mean? And I caught a kingfish, and I, right after I, we gaffed that king, I was like, that was my problem. <laughs> and I let it go over. <laughs> this is a tournament, right, right first thing in the morning, first fish. It was the longest day oh, of my man. life. Yeah, I got so it was. Yeah, it doesn't, go, it doesn't go away. Didn't go away. It didn't go away. By the end of the day, I'm puking up foam. Oh, yeah. Like, I was like, what is, I'm like, I don't get seasick. What is my problem? You know what I mean? And I don't know what it was. Maybe I was dehydrated that morning. Something wasn't right. Yeah. And it was the worst. And now I just put that patch on if it gets real bad. And that, that's really what saves me. First, I don't want that ever to happen again. Oh, no. First time I went offshore, I went with my dad and my uncle. Out of the, we were living at Patrick. And yeah. we went out on Miss Cape Canaveral on a shark trip at night. And it was all of eight feet. Yeah. I'm not exaggerating. We didn't have no business being out there. We went out there, spun around twice came home we didn't even one guy dropped once mm-hmm. and he caught a grouper he was an old man smoking weed out of a corn cob pipe really yes he was the only guy who caught anything and then my, my dad i'm watching him they're eating pimento cheese sandwiches on the way out <laughs> he my dad's puking pimento cheese and then my oh. uncle's puking oh. pimento cheese oh. and then i get oh sick. you're gonna make me puke right exactly. now exactly so i'm laying there dying <laughs> and i'm thinking as soon as that boat gets up close i jump off the boat i didn't care if the lines were out or not I, I had to get my feet on solid ground because i'd never felt like that in my life yeah i was spinning i had pneumonia before i would take pneumonia 10 times versus versus being that uh Nauseous. I don't think people. I don't think people that don't get seasick, oh. like like you're what you're saying. It was I don't, they don't horrible. realize. They was really the don't realize. I couldn't yeah. lift my if head. They did. They go in. Couldn't no matter lift, what this, and, and bring that person. To couldn't shore. lift my head up off the off the thing yeah. without spinning like crazy. It, it's human torture. It's horrible. Horrible. I could. I could never. If I had vertigo, I'd, I'd eat a bullet. There's yeah. no way I could take it. I don't like to I spin in a swing. I'm not going to disagree on a with roller you. coaster or any of that stuff. And uh, that that was horrible. And the only time I've ever been seasick after that, really, was if I got on a boat hungover. And I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I don't get on a boat hungover. I think I don't dehydration have a has a lot to do with it. Oh, yeah. I don't have a big night and get on a boat. Yeah. No. And I tell all the Marlin U students, I know you guys are on vacation. I know it's you guys 
really want to go and have a good time and drink some beers and mm -hmm. liquor and whatever, I said, don't do it. Just right. wait until the last day. And then, you know, when we can that's get good. on a bus, that's good instead advice. of being on the ocean and being out there, because we don't come back. You know, if you're the only guy sick out there, I've got three other guys who paid, you know, six, 10 grand, whatever the mm -hmm. trip is. We're not coming back for you. You're right. going to lay out there and be sick as a dog for eight to 10 hours. And there's nothing worse. I went to a, I was really, in, there really isn't, there's nothing. I went, to, <laughs> I was in the Canary Islands. I went with uh, the editor of windsurfing magazine. We were, we got windsurfing. Exactly. We, we, they, we owned those, that magazine. So he was going there and he says, Hey man, this lady says they have fishing there. You know, it was a press trip. You know, come and go with me and we'll, you can do the fishing part and I'll do the windsurfing part. Sure. No worries. I didn't really think about it until I got there that this place is a big windsurfing place. Right. Which means the wind is blowing. Don't be soupy. Constantly. Yeah. As we're flying in, you can see the wind line blowing oh. in the water. And mm -hmm. luckily, it's a tall island. I fished in the lee the whole time, so mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about that. But there's wind farms everywhere. All the fields are covered. Cause where is this again? Canary Islands. The Canary Islands. Yeah, Grand right. Canary yeah. is where I was at. And it's a complete constantly blowing like crazy, except in the lee because you're in the 35,000-foot, I mean, a 30, a big volcano in right. the middle of the island that blocks the whole south end. It's called a continent in miniature. It's 35 miles around. In miniature? It's called a continent in miniature because in, in the 35-mile island on the north, on the eastern end, it goes from a, a wet, leafy, deciduous forest all the way up to conifers up the side of the volcano, and down the other side, it turns into the desert southwest. Come There's on. No, no rain falls on the, on the south side, so it's it's sand dunes, palm trees on one end, and cone trees and leafy trees at the other end because of the prevailing winds. And it's a, just a beautiful place. I mean, it's amazing, a, just a gorgeous place. But I was there with this windsurfing dude. His name was Tom James, and he was the editor of windsurfing. He's, he's a gorgeous human being. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just one of those guys you want to smash him in his face. He's so pretty. <laughs> and... I was and and he was there hanging out with this guy named Dunderbach, who was the world champion freestyle windsurfer. He was a guy from the Netherlands. He's about six Just foot. Dunderbach, that's yeah. what he went by. I don't remember his like first Madonna? name. Exactly. Yeah. He, he's that famous, and you know he was about six foot four, beautiful, beautiful dude. And then there's me, and I'm <laughs> hanging out with these two dudes, <laughs> and we're going to all these bars, these big. Canary Island Spanish bars and it you know they don't even start till like midnight mm -hmm. it's when you go out I got back to the room at 6.30 I had been awash in Jack Daniels man I'd been like a bath of it I took a lot of Jack down and uh, I get back to the hotel at 6.30 and I have to leave at 7.30 to go get on the boat so I try to sleep for an hour which is impossible and I get on the cab and I'm just dying just dying already and we go and we get to this boat which i haven't seen yet and it's a big trimaran a big tourist boat it's a it's a head boat and it's got marlin tails all around it where they had chopped off the tails of the black marlin they had caught and mounted them to the railing all the way around this boat impaled so it, yeah so it stank <laughs> so it, wow these marlin tails stink but and then i get on this boat and the top section of it the top 
of the upper station, there's no more upper station. All the controls have been ripped out. It's empty. It's just a fiberglass shell. Well, that was my home for the whole trip. I crawled underneath there, and I came out when a guy caught a bluefin tuna. But I spent eight hours huddled up underneath that thing dying, dying from Jack Daniels hangover. And that was the last time I got yeah. on. Did, they did catch a big bluefin tuna that day, about 150 pounds. But you didn't care. I didn't care. I took a few pictures. But the 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 what really got me, and I didn't throw up, which is usually I'm a puker, man. I'll puke like that just to get it over with and right. get done. And I'll drink you're more. You're better off. Drink more and then puke again. I'm, yeah, you're better I'm a off bad puker. Bad puker. And, uh, but what really got me is they – as I'm on there, I'm noticing they're loading all these white people, these incredibly Norwegian, Finnish, the see-through kind, Northern European, Northern Europeans climbing on this boat, all of them carrying beer, and they started drinking that beer, man, and that sun's beating down on them. It was pretty hot, and they had an anchor, so they're anchored up in this swell, and they're all drinking beer, and it became a complete and total barfarama, just wow. like. <laughs> It was, it was oh. something, which is amazing that I didn't get sick. But I was just, I just found it so funny that I, I couldn't get sick. I wish I, I would have. I'm telling you, I, I have to do an illustration of that moment. Oh, like was, I'm imagining <laughs> the Marlin tales and uh, it was bad. the Norwegians, and it the was, Jack Daniels, yeah, Vikings. They were all a bunch of Vikings, oh, and they're you know talking. You know, if you ever meet those people, they're all very proud of their Viking heritage. They mention it a lot. I would think <laughs> they mention that a lot, especially when it comes to drinking. Mm-hmm. But uh, they didn't do it well. They didn't do well on that trip. That was a bad trip. They're out there trying to catch. You know, they advertise wolf fish, right. these big manta rays, and you know, not mantas, but all kinds of weird rays that they're they're trying to catch on the bottom there. They eat everything. They, it was it was crazy. Is there any place you have not been? Yeah, there's quite a few. Really? I'd like to go I'm, to Seychelles and, all right. and a lot of the, you know, Orient. So I was going like to ask you, there. like, some bucket list items, but I'm like, man, I think that this guy's been, old, like, everywhere. Thailand. Like my sister's going to Thailand next year. I would year. love to go to Thailand. I love Thai food. I'm gonna have to. I have you to a, take my wife. I can't go to Thailand to all those Thai girls there. There's no way I could. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking. I'm bringing my <laughs> yeah. wife to Thailand. I think you get it's hard move. enough. I have to go to Colombia and those other places. I, yeah, it's good to have oh, your wife Columbia. with you. Oh my goodness, that place is ridiculous. Venezuela. I'm gonna have to give you a stronger Beautiful together shirt there. before you leave. remind me to give you a stronger together shirt before you leave because be that's awesome. the thing. We just. Um, we're getting pictures sent to us from all over the world now because we sold so many of those damn shirts right, for right. the hurricane relief, like thousands of them. I know. And then now people are taking, whenever they travel, they wear it. And so it's just like people send them either from Ireland and, you know, all over Japan. Someone sent me That's one awesome. from Japan and you know, things like that. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Back then, um, recently my sister was in Ireland and she went there and someone ran up to her. She says, hey, I know that shirt. Oh, that's so cool. It is cool. Yeah, so I'll have to give you one because we'll have to get some shots from, from Thailand. Right, if I ever make it. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. I was, I was I, Singapore, I hear, is awesome. I had a fellow, one of uh, uh Michael Tan, I think was his name. He came from Singapore, mm-hmm. and uh, he came to one of my Marlin U's, and he's always sending me pictures of the big sails they catch there. And right. I've always wanted to go there. I hear it's a really cool place. Yeah, I got a good buddy of my real good, one of my best friends. He lives in the Philippines. Yeah. And he's lived there since shortly after 9-11. And um, he was always trying to talk us into going over there. But he always says that to be, 
he's more of a diver. Right. And not really so, but he says like the diving over there is just right. off the charts. Yeah, that's what they say about Thailand too. Yeah. And, you know, they, they catch a few little black marlins there, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of sailfish. So I, I you know. We're in Thailand? Yeah. Really? Cat. Yeah. I had fly tomorrow and recently, and he was talking about doing some sail fishing in the... He's over there now. In he? Saudi. In Saudi. And he was going... Geez, He's I in Asia remember. right now. So He's in Asia, yeah. He wanted me to go on that trip with him, and I'm like, just, you know, yeah. You I'm have like, to pay your own way? Yeah, I got to pay yeah. my own way and stay in Japan for th- for three weeks with fly. It's going to be... It would be fun. It would be, be probably expensive. the end of my marriage, too. It would be expensive. But it would, <laughs> yeah, you have, like I said, you got to... Drain my bank account, not see my family for three weeks. Yeah, yeah, my wife would love that. My wife's been to some cool places. She's, I took her to Costa Rica. I took her to Venezuela back mm-hmm. in the day. She used to work uh, the tournaments there for... Gibson, when I go there, mm-hmm. and uh, in Bermuda, she's been in Bermuda. Right. She actually would work the tournaments there when we put those on. I never took her to Cabo, but yeah. yeah. Now the kids are a little older. We're gonna start doing a little bit more traveling. Yeah, you know, it's always tough when the kids are like, oh man, one, two, three years horrible. old. You can't do anything. Yeah, it's and it gets too expensive once they get older than that. Yeah, you know, my that's the only reason I haven't flown my kids around everywhere is I ain't got the money. Right. You know. Passports yeah. and stuff are expensive too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think they. Don't, I don't know. We have passports for them. I think more. My kids are more excited <clears throat> about getting passports than actually doing the traveling. Yeah, and, that's a neat little book. Yeah, man. Sean was yeah. like, "Daddy, let me see your passport." I remember when I got my. I got mine when I was little. You yeah. know, coming from Germany. I mean, from uh, states to Germany, and I remember have I have had a passport my whole life. Yeah, Which is a lot of it's weird. A lot of people don't get them. Mm-hmm. It's right. Amazing how many people never have one. Mm-hmm. In the, in the United States, which is rare because in most countries, especially European countries, everybody has a passport. Everybody travels abroad. Yeah, I guess you kind of, you know, that's why, well, I mean, Europe is like the States, right? Yeah. You're, pretty, you're pretty much going from one country to another yep. all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, But, but uh, you never really have to show your passport right. anymore. Not anymore. I remember when I was a kid, when you were going from one country to the other, they usually stop you and you had to look at your passport. Mm-hmm. But uh, I actually went to uh, uh, to Berlin. Mm-hmm. You know, when they, when all that stuff was still working, you know. Oh, really? Saw the wall and all that back when I was a kid. Wow. Yeah. You, you'll you'll have a different opinion about walls once you see them. Right. Those things are. Uh, right. It was it was it was a it was a huge moment in mm-hmm. my life when you see the wall keeping those people in there. And that was the whole weird, <clears throat> the weird thing with Russia when yeah. they came, when they swept in after World War II and they yeah. really claimed that territory. Well, you know, like, we gave them we gave them, you know, we gave them all that. We we gave them enough, you know. We nobody suffered in the war more than Russia. That's that one is, thing you no, don't know. No, that's true. A lot of people don't know that. That's true. Russia lost, you know, 10 million people or something ridiculous. And you, 6 man. million of them starved to death. That's the so, biggest mistake. That was the biggest mistake to me. The turning point in the whole entire war yeah. it wasn't really the storming of the beaches. It was, it was Hitler trying to take Russia. Yeah. Well, was, well, was not only that, but if he would have gone right straight to Moscow, he yeah. would have. Yeah, but instead, he wanted Stalingrad because it was Stalingrad, the name of it, Stalingrad. If I could take the town that's named after you. Yeah. But he diverted his path and really put his soldiers in a really bad spot. They, he, and he, then then the, the, the winter came, and those guys were all holed up. If yeah. he would have hit Moscow before that winter came, then there would have been a completely different story over there. Yeah. But a lot more people would be speaking German. Yeah, Russia had so many people, so who's to say it would actually really have happened like long term, but yeah. it, that would have definitely have a different effect on the world. I don't think anybody's ever managed to take Russia in the winter. 
No, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I think I it's probably one of the more impossible one of those things to ever things, do. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you ignore history to your peril. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. We we're talking yeah. about less lawyers, more historians. Yeah. That's what we need. Yeah, but I don't know. World wars, wars, <laughs> so pointless. But yeah, the um, what happened with with Germany? It was really kind of like I can't say sad. Yeah, because they brought you know, it on themselves. Yeah, you brought you brought you exactly. They brought it on themselves, but the long term effect, but what that you know East Berlin scenario mm-hmm. did, it, that wall coming down was a good thing. Oh yeah, yeah, for oh, yeah. for for sure. Because it's not like it's almost like that. This whole place was imprisoned. Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't like yeah, it wasn't like the other way around where it's like you talk about you think about walls differently. Right. You know, if if you've seen that wall, but. I think the difference between the one that's going up now is like you're separating two countries there. It was almost like you were built a prison around yeah, yeah. this one area. It's yeah, like, pretty much. You had to fly stuff in there. Yeah. Had the Berlin airlift to keep it, keep the American side going. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. It was, it was a uh, sobering, you know? Yeah. You know, my mother went in there on the troop train, you know, she went, actually went inside and, uh, Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. She, you know, they had tours. You could go on a tour, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they would come down the train. My mom said they would come down with the mirrors, you know, and making sure people weren't coming in and out underneath, hanging underneath the train. And, yeah. You know, it was it was a horrible thing. Yeah. And, and there were several times when we'd, you know, do a, a field trip in elementary school to, you know, go and, hey, there's the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, we traveled up to the, the border and you'd look out across a big field and no man's land and there's the wall. Can't go there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's. It's bad. Did you like growing up in Germany? I loved it. I yeah. really did. I mean, you know, the whole time you're there, you're thinking, oh, I want to go back to the States because they have better candy. But <laughs> then you realize, boy, I was eating the best candy in the world. You yeah. get back. German chocolate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, I was eating gummy bears before even if I knew what the heck they were over here. Right. You know, we had gummy everything. Yeah. You know, all kinds of stuff. We'd go to the factories at school, you know, at school. We'd go to all the chocolate factories and you know, see all that stuff being made. And yeah. uh, I went to the, you know, um, see the Gutenberg press, you know, I went, you know, and saw the very first printing press right, ever the made. Gutenberg and the Heidelberg. And, yeah. Yep. Went, you know, see, I got to see amazing things. And, you know, I, I'd go and see those things in real life. And then I'd go and went to Alabama. And some lady's trying to teach me. She's probably never been out of that county. Right. And I'm, you know, she, I'm saying, oh, this is this is where I was at. This is what I saw. You yeah, know? Oh, get in trouble, get whipped, <laughs> get, whipped. <laughs> get whipped in Alabama. I don't know if they still do it, but when I was there, they had, I got whipped every day. Really? Yeah, I ran my mouth. A I lot. can see that. Though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wouldn't shut up for nothing, and it was, I deserved it. But man, they had you get whipped in school, paddled, and I had red hair, so mm-hmm. I was little. I was really a little guy for a long time. I was I was tiny. Yeah, I know how that goes. And uh, yeah, and John doesn't know how. So they were. Yeah, <laughs> listen, so John. I was he's I was big and tall, and tall, he doesn't get seasick. I was seasick. making friends. He with has those no guys. idea what the pain is. Yeah, I had to make friends with a guy named Larry Walker. He was like six four and two hundred pounds in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. But before I met him, everybody in that class in that sixth grade class wanted a piece of my ass. They did. They really. I looked like a troll doll pencil from Germany. Correct. I had a little bookcase, a briefcase. I carried a briefcase into the school yeah. in Alabama, which was like, you know, painting a big kick me sticker mm-hmm. on my back. Right. You know, so everybody wanted to kick my ass when I got there, except for the black dudes. 
Yeah. They didn't bother me much at all. They ignored me until I played football. Yeah. And then that was one good thing about Alabama. They taught me how to play football. Mm-hmm. It was a good football education. I had a good football education. Alabama. Yeah. Well, I've only driven through. You keep driving. Yeah. <laughs> Midnight in Montgomery. Keep driving. Hey, apologize to everybody from Alabama. It's all right. <laughs> Sorry, they're strong enough. They got Nick Saban. That's right. Yeah. They don't need me. <laughs> Alabama boy don't need me around right. anyhow. <laughs> they fend for themselves. That's right. Cool. Well, I'm going to cut it short because I really got to pee. Okay, man. <laughs> Dude, so bad. No worries. But, Dave, I want to thank you for coming in today. Once again, um, I had a lot of fun. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And I hope you come I'm all back. starting to get hoarse. It's about time to quit, I guess. I hope you come back. <laughs> I hope you come back again. We'll work out another time. Whenever you're ready. I still yeah. got a lot more. Yeah. I want to hear a lot more. Talk too. talk a little bit about some of these places a little bit more. Yeah. All right. So. Cool. Well, listen, your ego is not your amigo. Right? <laughs> Just do your best. Let God do the rest. Always remember to eat, drink, and be local. Always buy all your vehicles at Joey Cardi Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. Right. And don't forget to visit our website, connectedbywater.com, for all your custom service needs. If you're a boater... Need apparel? If you're just a sea lover and you want to just shop online, check us out. Dave Farrell, thank you very much. Thank you, brother. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, do not ever forget that we will always be connected by water. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. All right, man. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.